Hello and welcome to the Ghibli Rewatch series of the Overly Animated Podcast, where we'll be going through every Studio Ghibli movie chronologically from the beginning. I'm Dylan Heisen, and today I'm joined by Michelle Ander. Hello. And April Collins. Hi there. Join us in rewatching or watching for the first time all the Studio Ghibli movies now that they're available for streaming for the first time on HBO Max, the United States, and Netflix, most of the rest of the world. Uh, we'll have new podcasts every Wednesday as we go through the entire Ghibli catalog chronologically and find all of our contact information at OverlyAnimated.com. Um, I'm a Ghibli ho- uh, expert joined by Rokos with a variety of Ghibli experience, and today we have finally made it in our Ghibli rewatch journey to Spirited Away. Yay! Very exciting high point for the, the rewatch series, and yes. we're going to get into everything for Spirited Away. There's full spoilers for this movie. Minor spoilers for the rest of the Ghibli catalog. Make sure you've seen Spirited Away, of course. Um, we'll be discussing, in general, both subbed and dubbed, so which, uh, but maybe primarily the subs. Watch whatever you prefer. Um, let's talk about Spirited Away. It's 2001, um, and uh, we have our next Hayao Miyazaki movie, his kind of foremost movie associated with him in Spirited Away. He did retire for, like, literally a week after Princess Mononoke. <laughs> um, yeah. And then immediately, yeah, Yoshifumi Kondo, as previously discussed, died, and he immediately came back to the studio. Um, Spirited Away is and still remains the highest-grossing film in Japanese history. Uh, very Woo! exciting. Take, take that, your name. Yeah, I can't be. <laughs> your, your name is in the top ten. Yeah, I noticed that. I am really upset about that. <laughs> Uh, among, among other Miyazaki movies in the top 10 in Japan. Um, this, but it was also a big hit overseas, kind of the first Ghibli movie to make a lot of money outside of Japan. Um, it won Best Animated Feature at the 75th Oscars, still kind of an unprecedented thing for a non-American movie. Um, free, and, you know, could I could cite a bunch of, like, critics' movies of all time, Best Animated List movies things, but I'll just say... Probably frequently cited as the best animated movie ever by a lot of people, if not one of the best, um, as a summary there. So um, let's let's talk about each of our kind of histories with Spirited Away and kind of your your overall thoughts on it. Michelle, who who has a, a long history with Ghibli movies. What about you? So I if memory serves me, I actually did see this one in theaters when it came out. And it was probably the first anime thing I had ever seen. I I was very not following most of it. I think I was probably pretty overwhelmed. A lot of things about it totally went over my head. But I think even be, even with that, like I still very much liked Chihiro, and I found her a very relatable protagonist. Um, and I still felt that way growing up. I think over anyone, Chihiro felt the most like myself, just because like they spend so much time in the movie showing that Chihiro's like very much just like a normal girl, but like with all those cute little kid quirks, like how she like stamps her feet when she's impatient, or like qu- clutches her shirt to herself. And, like, kind of, like, whines and complains a lot in the beginning. Like, I don't think it ever comes off as obnoxious. I think it's, like, way more endearing than that. And the fact that she, like, literally doesn't know how to do anything by herself to start off with. And everything is just so hard for her. As the youngest child in my family, that's absolutely a place that I was in. 
until I had to like go off to high school and college for sure. And then I was like forced to learn how to do a lot of things. And I feel like that's a big part of Chihiro's journey. And I think it's really interesting to like, because I know like we've talked before about how like Miyazaki kind of becomes more curmudgeonly over time. And that was something I was really noticing watching this movie in terms of like, oh, wow. I can see like Miyazaki's like desire for hard work to be shown as a positive thing for young people a lot with Chihiro right now. But it is kind of true that like Chihiro's a very normal kid, but like when she's like kind of thrust into having to take on all this extra stuff and responsibility, she rises to the occasion. And I feel like maybe a more hopeful analysis is that like a lot of kids today are very much capable of the same thing. And I think it's a lot more about expectation than their lack of ability, you know? So hopefully that's something we can get into more as we discuss. But in general, this is like literally, I think, a perfect movie. It's so, so good at what it's doing. And it is like, like eye candy in a way that a lot of movies aren't. There's just so much detail literally everywhere. And it's all just beautiful. Uh, wonderful. Yeah, I, there's a lot of good stuff you said about Chiro's character. I definitely think we'll try to get back to, to some of that later. Perfect movie, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. April, uh, what about your history with Spirited Away? So I distinctly remember when this movie came out because first off, it came out in theaters, which was incredible. Because yeah. um, I don't know that any other like Ghibli movie came out like was out in theaters or ever like premiered in theaters in the United States. Yeah, this would have um, been the first one, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and so I remember just being ridiculously excited because I was like 11 at the time. And this is like whenever I was getting to like super peak, like anime oh, in my childhood. Know. Yeah. So like, I was so excited and I really, really wanted to go see it in theaters and we couldn't, or I couldn't go because, so I have two younger brothers And the deal with, like, going to the movies is that, like, we all have to go as, like, a pack, you know? And so they did not want to see this movie at all. So I had to impatiently wait until it was, like, out on, like, DVD or whatever so I could watch it. Um, And then, like, I remember just being, like, blown away because... Like, at this point, like, I was already in love with, like, Kiki's Delivery Service. And, like, that was, like, my Ghibli movie. (laughs) And so, like, I remember, like, watching this one and just being, like, this is incredible. And, like, like, it was so beautiful. And, like, I was just blown away by all of it. And I remember, like, like, (laughs) this is, like, the origin story of April. But I remember just being, (laughs) like, I want to create something like this. Like, and so... Because um, that's like what I went to school for and everything like that. And so like this was one of the movies that in my head I was like, I want to give people the same feeling that this movie gives me. Um, because it just like and I totally like could relate to like Jihiro because I was 11 at the time or something like that. So uh, so yeah, like I found her like super relatable and like the story just like really, really compelling. Um and, and even now, like, I still was, like, very engrossed in the movie, even though I'd seen it, like, a million times. It was interesting for me on this, like, rewatch because I think that I've only ever seen it, like, dubbed. And so this yeah. time I was 
like I'm watching it subbed, like because <laughs> yes. I'd never done it before, because uh, I was just used to the dub of Spirited Away, and I fully enjoyed the subbed. Like I think between the two casts, like they both like hit it out of the park for all of the characters. Um, like I I I just lo- like loved this movie, and then it's great because like. My brother, like, came back, like, a few years ago, and he's like, April, um, I just want to say sorry that we <laughs> kept you from watching this movie, because, because, like, they, he had watched it with, like, his girlfriend or something, and he was just like, it was such a great movie, and I was like, yes, if you want to go to the movie <laughs> with me, like, and he's like, I know, I'm so sorry, like, I, so... <laughs> so, like, I felt really, like, redeemed in that, but also, like, just the fact that I even, like, like, my brother, who's someone who's, like, very, like, he can be very quiet and, like, reserved and kept to himself. But, like, for him to just, like, come to me and be like, April, this is, like, one of the best movies I've ever watched. And, like, his favorite movie or, like, animated movie is Wally. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, it was, like, it, and I get, like, it just brought up, like, being 11 again, like, at that time for me. So, I have a really, like, good emotional connection. And, of course, like, I picked up on all of the other, like bits and pieces and stuff like that and I had like moments where I was like this is ne- disgusting so <laughs> I'm just glad that I could relive all of those feelings <laughs> that's that's wonderful um yeah to, to correct myself from a few minutes ago the Momononoke did open in theaters just not many people saw it um oh, yeah. yeah so okay uh yeah Despair- I, yeah, saw Spirited Away one of the first Ghibli movies I saw I can't remember if I saw Kiki or this one first but these were kind of the two um I don't think I saw it in theaters but probably got it on DVD um but uh yeah no really loved this and Kiki and always thought of this as like one of the best movies um and definitely compelled kind of my slightly later ghibli um kind of obsession and yeah probably one of the first anime things if not the first to watch that's a common thing i've read is like this uh, a lot of people's first uh, anime anything um yeah and they're probably not super representative of a lot of anime but it's okay <laughs> uh yeah it's fair away uh daunting to talk about this movie um i i think this is i've always kind of thought of this as the best movie i've ever seen and i think that yes. i think it's i think from all the movies I've seen, which is a lot. And, you know, I haven't seen a lot of the live action classics and stuff. But I, I, for what I've seen, I think this is the best movie I've ever seen, kind of animated or not. Um, I think the the it's hard to describe why I think it's magical is the best kind of quality I can try to to say about it. It just has this immersiveness, it, this this evocativeness that I really don't get from literally any other movie, even these incredible Miyazaki movies that we've talked about. And I don't think Spirit Away is like so much better than these other incredible ones we've seen, but it has this kind of unique tone and emotions it evokes. Um, the, I think the, the best way I can try to describe kind of how this movie makes me feel is that sometimes uh, just randomly in the same kind of vein of, you know, like sometimes you'll just like feel deja vu of like just you're feeling something and uh, it just seems familiar. Like I'll feel some sort of emotion, like not even necessarily super connected to what's going on, just like maybe typically some like melancholic emotion. And it just makes me think of Spirited Away. Um, like wow. it, ha- it has such a quality to it that I just like think of the tone of this movie 
uh just it just like pops into my brain like when in just like random spots in life and like that's like not a experience i think i go through with uh, other movies or stories or anything um so like to me like that i feel like is what like is really like special about this movie to me is just like how this movie makes you feel when you watch it what 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 like qualities this it it's able to evoke in its audience and so i want to kind of i guess try to dig into that uh a little bit first um like i think because i do think it's not you know it's not like a hot take to say this is the best miyazaki movie to say this is the best uh one of the best movies so you know like why why what is what is it about spirited away because we've talked about um you could argue every movie we've talked about on this series up until now it may be with like one or two exceptions has been like super special and incredible um so you know why why this movie in particular is resonates so much with people and even outside of ghibli movies like what what is it about kind of spirited away that that is is it, yeah like resonates for a lot of people michelle do you have like a a particular quality you think that that spirited away has um Okay, well, I mean, one thing I kind of wonder about is why this movie, more than a lot of other Ghibli movies, was so popular internationally, especially in the United States. And I feel like one thing Spirited Away has in its favor in terms of, like, broad audience accessibility and enjoyment is that it... It's, like, not as convoluted as a lot of other... Like, like I love Nausicaa and Mononoke and Lapta, but it's not... I feel like Spirited Away, it, it's, like, it's a kind of a, a story act structure that's, like, a little more recognizable. Even the fact that there's, like, legit, like cute little sidekicks for a good chunk of this movie feels like something that like we as an audience are very used to with Disney for decades and decades before this. Um, I think there's like little things like that that just make it feel easier (laughs) to watch maybe honestly um, without as much of a cultural barrier because there is like a lot of Japanese-ness to this movie but I think the thing that's really nice, um, if you don't know a lot about Japanese culture, is like our pers- our POV is Chihiro, and for her, she she's just viewing everything as like this crazy spirit magical world. Which, like as Americans, frankly, that's probably how we're <laughs> going to be viewing it too. And anything else you know on top of that is like nice, but you don't really need it. I feel like. And that, like, is relatively true for, like, a lot of other Ghibli movies. But, like, it really doesn't matter how much of Japan you know about in this movie. So I feel like part of that structure just works really, really well for an American audience specifically. And I can't really divorce my experience watching this from an American experience. So I think, like, that's definitely one of the reasons it was so easy to rewatch as a kid because, like, all I need to know is, like, Chihiro's a little girl. She's trying to figure out how to be her best self. And everything's crazy and wild and exciting. And it doesn't have to make sense. Like, a lot of things, honestly, are not explained. You just get the bare bones of, like, there's a bathhouse. Spirits don't like humans. Humans really smell. Um, there's, like, an inherent danger to the spirit world this time, which I think is really interesting. I think this is the most, like menacing the spirit world has ever seemed like i think before it's always seemed a little more like magical and like oh it's just nature and just don't be a jerk and everything's gonna be fine but now it's like 
Chihiro, if you don't eat that food, you're going to straight up disappear. And if you eat too much of the food, you're going to turn into a pig and be eaten anyway. So it's like, there's this really interesting balance of just like, humans are really stupid now. And also the spirit world's super threatening. But if you navigate it, you can like earn the respect of the spirits and also be a better person. And I just think like that's such a brilliant combination that just ended up working really well here. Yeah, I think I think it's a good place to start, which is uh, what you're saying earlier. This is very accessible, this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it has mm-hmm. easy kind of global appeal. Um, so yeah. in terms of like why, you know, why might this be more more widely viewed than other Ghibli movies? I think all of Miyazaki's movies to a certain extent, most of them I'd say are, are pretty accessible and globally accessible. Yes. This this yeah. one probably the most so. The most. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. would say so, yeah. And and um and and also the the other no- the other notion is uh just it's very polished um i think mm-hmm, that that, yeah. that was kind of my argument with mononoke like i love nausicaa i feel like um mononoke is a little more polished version and it i think is. spirit away is like <laughs> the most probably polished version of a miyazaki movie that he makes and so of course it's like okay it's 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 uh most accessible and but how about the, i think the next thing to try to tap into i think that's a good explanation for like why it has a broad appeal but how about for you specific like for us we've seen all these movies and this is still a really special movie and and maybe we know more about um the, uh, through the series and just in general from from focusing on movies like this like more about them um so like is there is, qualities i guess if, if any come to mind michelle for you uh personally about spirited away that make it so distinctive uh i mean personally it's because like everyone really validates chihiro's power to shape the story like she has this incredible ability of winning everyone over and i really like the fact that it's like every everything appears really really scary initially but then you have people like Lynn who like really open up to her and even like the spider guy he's like totally like a dola kind of character right like he comes off really gruff but then he has like that molten core that can be unlocked for the right children and actually he's a big softy he'll put the blanket on her when he sees her asleep and like haku is really great and like even the even like the witches like yubaba like yeah she's like a tough cookie like she has a business to run i get it but Towards the end, like, you really see her, like, begrudgingly respect you here. And I feel like the fact that everyone just becomes so, like, in love with this kid, even though she's a human, she kind of represents everything they hate to the point where, like, none of the bathhouse employees at the end want Shahir to have to take that last test. They're, like, arguing with their boss, which you'd think they'd be too afraid to do. But they do it for her because she's just charmed all of them. And I feel like... As a kid, the idea of being able to have that ultimate power where, like, everyone can respect you and validate your choices instead of just brushing you aside as a little kid is, like, the way kind of her parents do at the beginning. I feel like that's, like, the ultimate wish fulfillment right there. So, like, that's the that's the deep reason probably why I like it so much. That's good. Yeah, I think I think you're talking a lot about Chihiro and her journey in the movie and that being special to you. And I think that... That, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think this movie uh, in particular is very focused on Chihiro, the main character's kind of journey as like the core mm-hmm. of the movie um, in a way in which I think all of Miyazaki's kind of broad fantasy movies have. And this movie may be one of the reasons it succeeds even more so is it, fo- it doubles down on it um, and focuses on it in a way uh, that, that some other movies don't to as much of an extent. 
Um, and yeah, uh, that's, that's great. April, how about you? Like if you could, if you could try to tap into what makes this movie really special, what would you say? Um, I, I definitely agree with Michelle about like how Chihiro is just a very like charismatic character. Mm -hmm. Um, and that she's an excellent focus, um, but very relatable at the same time. Like we've all been, you know, 10 years old and, you know, we've, like we've all sort of been in those experiences, but it's so empowering to like watch someone of that age also be very brave despite like the crazy situation that's going on for them. Um, I think the other thing too, is that this movie has so many different like emotional like element, like it has a full spectrum of like what's going on. Like we go from like extremely like happy, like moments and then we get really like dark and gritty and disgusting at times. So, I mean, it's creepy as well. Like some of the stuff with like no face. Uh, so there's just like a whole range of like emotions that can be like evoked throughout this movie. Like every time that Shahira was crying, I wanted to cry too, because who, I mean, who hasn't ever been in a situation where they felt so overwhelmed, like they're, they're compelled to tears. So I I think that's something that also just makes this movie very, very special is because like we, we've all been 10. We can all put ourselves in our, in her shoes. Like we can all have wished that, you know, we could have been on this magical journey ourselves. And I mean, we kind of are because we never stray from the focus of Chihiro throughout. So, and I think that's something that really just adds to this movie rather than like following individual characters all over the place. We don't do that. We're only focused on Chihiro. So, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, you guys have talked, I think, uh, really well about Chihiro and his journey in the movie. And I think I would say, in addition to that, the main things that I would say is, is, is the, the evocativeness, like I've said, um, the, the, the magical quality to it, which, like I said, very difficult to try to describe. Uh, Susan Napier, I'll bring in quotes from her throughout. The first thing I'll say, she describes this movie with a dreamlike strangeness. Oh yeah, um, Ooh. That sounds really true. Like you're overwhelmed by the excitement of just like I just always think about that boat docking when her hands are see through and the music swells and you just see these like yeah. random face masks grow bodies and it's just so exciting. You don't know what the heck is going on yeah. or where this is leading, but you don't care because in that moment you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool, and you get you get that feeling a lot, especially in the first half of the movie. I think. Yeah, it's just there's like so much is being like you're there's a lot of like senses that are being stimulated with by your eyes. Like there's all these like bright colors and like there's just so much going on, you know, like the face masks, like materializing bodies and like there's like a hustle and bustle and you kind of get Mm -hmm. caught up in like that like spirit and that energy. You're like, what's going on? Like, and you don't know if you're afraid or if you're just really like happy, excited or like what what's happening. So I think that's like something to be said about the music as well is that it's able to like appropriately capture every single scene and just make you like, like be engrossed in that. Yeah, I think that's a great point, bringing in the music and in addition to the visuals, which are, you know, like these huge components to the evocativeness of the movie. Um, Definitely want to talk the most we've talked about the music uh, later on. Um, But the 
Uh, I want to break down both of the like dreamlike strangeness. Let's let's take these one by one. So dreamlike, uh, like I totally think this movie is maybe the best I've ever seen in like capturing what a dream feels like for me. Um, for me, dreams can have just an intensity of emotion that's like very mm-hmm. hard to pin down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I, you know, relative to kind of day to day day life, and I think that's that's maybe a broad thing for a lot of people. Um, but uh, this ethereal intensity of emotion, I'll say that is, is feels feels very Ugh. very much like a dream to me that this movie has. Um, and maybe that's why I said in the beginning, like, sometimes I just like feel something that reminds me of this movie, similar to how you might like remember a dream fleetingly, um, in, in, in just in, in one day. Um, and then, you know, the strangeness, uh, this is, this is something I, I was trying to focus on a little bit more. This, this watch through is kind of the, uh, this movie, I, I feel like it clashes a little bit with my tastes in that I'm, you know, I'm, I, a lot of times I like comfortable things, like really happy mm-hmm. things. This mm-hmm. movie is very strange and very <laughs> uh, scary, I think. Um, and to me, it does so in a way in which just really enhances that that dreamlikeness. I mean, I think a lot of times our dreams are are always weird and mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. very scary as well. Um, and so, like to me, that could be a headline for Spirited Away. Spirited Away is all just about you know capturing that experience of a dream um which i really like and and the the, the yeah the, so the but the strangeness i mean every that to me that also plays into another kind of aspect of what makes it special to me which is the the fantasy element the the mythology to the movie um every, we meet so many weird creatures this weird realm everything's unfamiliar i think like like was said earlier nothing's like super explained very well but it's it's all uh, I think this movie is the most immersive fantasy Miyazaki has had, um, the most like heavy fantasy in in some ways, and um, it's it has this uh, this world building quality in terms of the the strikingness of all the creatures that are presented that is really effective, um, affecting uh, to to you watching it. Um, for me personally, No Face uh, has been the most. Uh, the Miyazaki creature that I always uh, has has had the most <laughs> effect on me. Like, uh, sure. yeah. Like, In what way? What kind of yeah. effects, Dylan? Uh, a lot of like, I, I mean, I think that's what makes <laughs> No Face really interesting. Is like incredibly scary. Uh, yeah. th- this creature, yeah. and yet like fascinating relatable. and relatable, and yet really <laughs> yeah. like sympathetic too. Um, so I, <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking about like all the, the Twitter and Tumblr gifs I've seen of him used and they're all so accurate. It's he's such a mood. He's so he, he really captures a range of emotions. It's, he's just trying. He doesn't know what to do and he's kind of dangerous, but at the end of the day, he's just lonely. Yeah. Well, yeah. And like, it's, it's like scary because you don't know what his intentions are yes. and yeah. it, it's never like really made clear until like after the situation has like fizzled out so i mean even it like within that like that would be like not only like horrifying but like frustrating too because i'm like i don't know what you want like <laughs> just tell me <laughs> yeah I've... you want to you, you want to give me gold i don't understand <laughs> every Stop time it. she turns down his gift his gifts like when he gave her the gold and then like she she left and he just like has this face he's like looking at the ceiling and he's just he looks so just like distraught and sad that like 
None of his appreciation is being taken seriously by Shiro, and it's the funniest thing to me. Well, it, and it's also, like, funny because I noticed this, too, that, like, the mask or whatever never shows expression, but you feel all of his emotion, yeah. like... Whenever, like, she, like, Chihiro, like, runs off, like, he's like, here's all this gold, and she's like, no, and she runs off, like, you can feel how, like, I, I don't know if it's, like, heartbroken, but, like, just yeah. the lot that he is, like, as, like, and all of this chaos is going on around him, like, I, I think that's, like, crazy. <laughs> like, I don't know how I feel about relating to a monster. <laughs> He's so happy to be in the cabin with Grandma, though. Like, I'm so glad that even No Face got a good ending. Yeah, I was just going to teach him how to sew. It's a really good arrangement for him. Yeah, it's uh, Muzaki has great endings for characters, I feel like. I think No Face is great. No, yeah. And for me, No no Face has always just been the most fascinating creature, I feel like. In in general, just one of the most fascinating fantasy creatures I've ever seen. And he's always really stuck with me. He just makes whatever he wants. And it's real. Like, <laughs> why would I even gold with counterfeit? I'm like not entirely sure, but maybe. I thought when I was, I thought I remembered it being counterfeit, but like it wasn't. Like they don't say that. No, it's movie. not. Yeah. How did it happen? Like, I what? had that same moment. I was just like, <laughs> man, they're going to be really upset when they find out all this gold <laughs> is fake. And then I was like, wait, the gold's not fake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, no. I mean, there's a ton of special creatures too. The suit sprites, I think, are really incredible. This, but we'll talk. We'll talk all, all about um all all the creatures and all the mythology in in the movie. Here's another Susan Napier quote. These are from her book Miyazaki World. Um, she says, "But to my mind, it's intensity, opulent imagery, and sheer yeah. originality make it among the greatest, if not the greatest, of Miyazaki's films." Um, yeah. So there, there's you know, there's the opinion of the one of the foremost Miyazaki experts we've been citing in this series. Um, wow, Susan. Yeah. <laughs> you said it. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't often, she doesn't often say her opinions, I think, in, in the book. So I think that stood out to me that she said this. Um, the, the intensity, I mean, that's a big one, is uh, yeah. we, the intensity of emotion it evokes we've been talking about, but it's just a very intense movie and everything that's happening. Yeah. Uh, the visuals, There's I think, a- very intense. The music is very intense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, There's like so, so much going intense. on. And there's a ton going on, there's and a ton going on we all the time. Very, very rarely stop and and take anything in, um, even though there is so much to take in. Uh, yeah, the opulent imagery, of course. Yeah, it's sheer originality. I mean, uh, just so many fantasy elements that, um, like, a lot is based on old Japanese mythology, but all of it is just like. Uh, it's definitely the movie you most want to talk about. Like, uh, how did this come out of uh, Miyazaki's brain? Which I have a quote about, which I'll read in a second. Um, and then the <laughs> other, the other Napier uh, thing she says, she talks a lot about its disturbingness. Um, this Ew. movie, Ew. she says, this movie has a nightmarish slash dreamlike intensity. We talked about this movie is very yeah. like a dream, but yeah. it's also kind of like a nightmare. Yeah, it's like it a, is. it's like a a dream that like. Have you ever had those dreams where like? It seems like it, everything's going okay, and then as the dream progresses, like it becomes sort of like a nightmare, and mm. then like it progresses, like, like it flows like in and out, and it's all like the same story. That I very much feel that 
I don't know if I'm the only person. No, who's I, ever I, like I absolutely that. understand what you're, yeah, <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah, like, because your mind, I think, I feel like how it actually happens is they're kind of disparate elements when you're dreaming, but your mind connects them all. And so, yeah. like, and that's a really powerful feeling that this, yeah. this, all this dreams that you're having is, is like a connected thread. And I do, yeah, this movie really captures that, I feel like. Well, and I think that's just incredible that this movie, like, can capture that sensation because, like, would you classify that dream, at, like, would you classify it as a dream or as a nightmare? But it's kind of both. And so mm-hmm. I think, like, Napier's description is highly accurate so yeah I think this is I think it's both a dream and a nightmare for um for Chihiro um something she's like probably is glad she experienced but is very uh (laughs) difficult for her to go through (laughs) um yeah, so here, here's a, it was a, lo- lo- a longer quote from Napier on the imagery and the disturbingness of the movie. So she says, drawing on his own psyche, uh, Miyazaki created a work that is beautiful, moving, and spectacularly imaginative, and also outrageous, grotesque, and disturbing. Some of the disturbing elements are intentional, a means for Miyazaki to crit- critique contemporary society using unforgettable imagery, but others seem to have emerged almost unconsciously. As he said to one interviewer, when working on Spirited Away, I frankly felt like I was lifting the lid on areas of my brain that I wasn't supposed to expose. Whoa. More... <laughs> Whoa. All more, right. More, more generally, he acknowledges, when I'm creating a work, I can get the feeling that the general direction is always deep in my subconscious, in a place that I can't f- be fully aware of. Uh, Spirited Away's second half, with its Rabelaisian rampages, followed by a quietly eerie train journey, evokes a nightmare-slash-dreamlike intensity unlike anything in Miyazaki's previous work. Um, Which I feel like is true. I think a lot of what he... he, The the qualities that come about because of the later parts of this movie feel like very much not like things we've seen before. Um, But yeah, I think Miyazaki talking about kind of this... uh, muse uh, artistic element we hear artists talk about sometimes which i don't frequently hear him him discuss and that that seems right that spirited away would be the movie that would most uh just be like him diving into his brain to uh find these these fantastical elements that that comprise this movie it um, is like a very particular location that like is very removed from anything we've seen before like because again like i feel like if we're not like a bathhouse is just like a very like I did not see that coming kind of location to spend so much time in because up till this it's either been like forests or like ancient cities mm, or like plains <laughs> in the past <laughs> like fantasy Europe a lot of that. Yeah. like this is a bathhouse in Japan mm-hmm. in in modern day. We've never really been here before. This is the this is the most modern he's ever been, and I think it's really interesting. I was like I was like having a lot of thoughts when you two were talking about like how much this feels like a dream, and I do think that's really accurate. Just because like I feel like every like three or four minutes of this movie, you run into another like iconic scene, right? Like so many moments are just so iconic, like them finding the tunnel them eating the food, the pig transformation, all the spirits coming alive, like her having to cross the bridge with Haku without breathing, like going into the bathhouse, having to run down the stairs, having to meet Spider Guy, having to meet the Radisphere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're describing the first 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. 
those scenes is like so iconic and the first time you watch it it's like ingrained in you forever so when you finally do rewatch you're like oh my gosh it's this part yeah. oh my gosh it's this part but that's literally the whole movie and i feel like that is a very kind of dreamlike energy because a lot of movies it's like you have your like maybe handful of standout scenes and then you have like a lot of downtime to kind of be like kind of the antithesis of that so that those really exciting scenes have more energy and come alive more by juxtaposition but this whole movie is so high energy even like the slow moments and there are like slow moments but they're not slow in a boring way they're just in a like we're taking time to like recoup where we are and she hears thinking about like plot stuff with Haku and like what's going on there but like it has this insane energy the entire time the way I dream definitely does because you'll just like be in one dream right and then like suddenly you'll find yourself somewhere completely different and like looking back on it when you first wake up you're like wait like how did I even get there it's like eh, it's dream logic a lot of this movie does feel a little bit like dream logic in that sense yeah, I like that. As yeah. this, this, because the, the a lot doesn't. It follows dream logic. <laughs> it follows I dream logic. A lot doesn't really make that much sense. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that's a good way of saying that. Um, yeah, you were listing a lot of scenes. How about is is there a favorite scene of this movie for you, or is there like a scene you most remember when kind of generally looking back on Spirited Away? Uh, how about April? Um, I so I most remember the scene whenever the uh, the river guardian comes in but he like they think he's a stink spirit and like like her like sludging through the sludge literally um like like makes me like tense up and then like like it's interesting because like whenever like they're like pulling out all of the garbage and then like she pulls like pulls like the like last little bit like I remember feeling just so relieved during (laughs) that scene like she pulls it out and I'm like oh thank you like (laughs) like I don't know why it was like so tense but so I like very uh very much remember that scene and then the other scene I really remember is whenever um she is like force feeding that medicine to Haku when he's a dragon um and he's like thrashing about and everything. Like I very specifically remember that scene as well. Yeah. I, I, like, trying to feed a dog like food it doesn't want to eat. <laughs> yes. or it's so good. Uh, M- Michelle, what about you? Uh, honestly, like and this is like not fair, but like what flashed in my mind is seeing all those chickens piled up in that bath because they were really <laughs> cute. <laughs> Cause like, cause like all the creatures are so scary, and then you see all these cute looking chickens. It's like, oh well, maybe the bathhouse isn't so bad if they're here. Or like when Lynn's like when she gets that roasted new, it really shook me as a kid. Cause like I'd been assuming she was a human because she looked more human than anyone else who worked there. Like Haku and her are the only ones that don't look like kind of toadish or just like weirdly stretched in this abnormal way. But then she like eats nudes. Like, oh, right. She's not a human. She's also a spirit. Oh, okay. And I love that they kind of play with stuff like that. Like once you get like a little comfortable, they'll throw something at you. When see with Haku, it's like, you assume he's like just a magical guy. It's fine. And then you realize he's also a dragon. It's like, well, okay. Everything I knew was a lie. And that's fine. It's magic world. There, I mean, there's too many to... It's really hard. Like, I, I was very scarred by how horrifying the pigs all were. Like, that's not where my horror of pigs came from, but it certainly didn't help. Like, 
Yeah. Oh my god, these pigs are the worst looking pigs I've ever well, seen. And like anytime that you ever see like pigs in like animation, like you they're cute so and like squishy and cuddly and like these are like real yeah. pigs. These are real <laughs> so, gross, awful pigs. Take mm-hmm. them away. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not no, so yeah, this is uh, over half of the Miyazaki movies we've talked about definitely feature pigs. Um <laughs> Not, not, yeah, not like the parents turning in the pigs. That's uh, yeah, like Porco Rosso. Like he, I mean, he wasn't a bad looking pig. Like so, well, it was human. Only his face was a pig. So like yeah. he had that. Going <laughs> yeah, I think he's probably making the pigs as striking as possible for effect for some of this commentary. We'll talk about a little later. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like the the at the end of the movie. Uh, Chihiro and Haku flying through the air together um, is like the iconic scene for me for this movie always. Um, the music, that's my favorite music ever. Um, that scene, it's not like this is like my ship or anything, but it's just the the evocativeness of uh, of the, the dragon flight and then them, the, the discovery and them, uh, them flying together. Uh, all, like the, always the high point of the movie for me is, is that, that scene triumphant moment yeah. for both of them. Like, Chihiro's come so far, but also, like, Haki's really has been, like, sticking his neck out for her more than he probably does with most people. And it really comes back to him, because she's able to give him his name back, and suddenly he's, like, also free to change his life choices if he wants to. And, like, as emotional and moving as that scene is, especially, like, when Chihiro's, like, crying, and they kind of, like, press their faces together, I love that it's kind of, like, juxtaposed to, like, you see one of her big Ghibli tears, like, flying up. You see, like, the mouse, and it just, ba- the tear, like, bounces off the mouse, and you're reminded that the comic relief is there, and it's just so good. I feel like the balance of humor in this also was just such a surprise. There's so much more humor in this than, honestly, a lot that I've seen since the Cagliostro movie. And it's like such it's such a nice change of pace, honestly. It works so well. Yeah, I guess, but yeah, especially with the, the mouse and the little bird. And, um, but yeah, I think it probably stands yeah. out a lot compared to the horrific nature of some of the other parts of the, of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, or like oh the, like the scene with the baby oh, and, uh, in the pillows oh uh, is that comic relief like, or horror which one horror yeah That's i would agree i would agree <laughs> what like i can't get the dub voice of that kid just out of my head it's just like play with me or i'll break your arm oh, it's yeah. just so oh, now that was a good impression i remember well, now, yeah. so <laughs> well I, okay i will say like the the sub voice is not as scary as that. <laughs> but <laughs> I do agree that like the voice haunt the dub voice haunts you. Yeah. And you see one thing I noticed with like Haku is like his um original Japanese is much softer mm. than the, whichever guy voiced him in the dub. And I feel like honestly, I kind of prefer the dub there just because like it kind of adds to like Chihiro's feeling overwhelmed and confused because like Haku, like, Rob the Bash is like, don't talk to me. Like, do this, do that. Like, but we're not friends, though. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> just like, what, what is real life? I don't understand. Yeah, I think speaking of the dub, I think, yeah, I mean, this is an iconic dub for a lot of us. It's what we, I, I think it's not surprising maybe that the, the baby's voice is scarier. I feel like it's, it could just be on its own, but also it's like what we emotionally remember from growing yeah. up, I think, uh, is hearing the, the dub voices for all these characters. Um, I've always thought of this as a really great dub. I mean, I think, um, a lot of these Disney dubs around this time do like really nail the, the characters. 
Uh, I will say it does have it. And I, I checked the, the song at the end. They didn't change that, the, the Japanese song. So that's good. Um, over the credits in the dub. And then, um, the, uh, it does have its like annoying quirks though. Like a lot of these dubs we're talking about, I definitely noticed since I, I checked so to the end to see, uh, if the song was there, they added like two lines of dialogue to the very end of the movie that aren't there in the original. Oh, for yeah. No, for no reason, I really. Like those. You didn't like it? I get that it's a very more American thing to like kind of. Yeah. To try, it, it just, it's trying to hammer yeah. home the themes a little bit yeah. more. Um, I mean, sure. it's not that I dislike it. I think it. I think like all the changes, it's in line with what the movie is going for. Um, but you know, my approach to this watch through is definitely like, you know, trying to wanting them to respect the, the original more. And that feels like a little bit of a significant change is like adding two lines to the right, very end of the movie. That's um, fair. it's like yeah. Americans need, uh, less subtlety. Than <laughs> the right. Yeah. That, that's what it felt like. <laughs> Tell me the theme of this movie in a single sentence. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, but no, but I, I have like definitely like fond memories of the Spirit of the Um Quickly, the I want to talk about like what it's a like, the genre of the movie and who the movie's for because I thought this was kind of interesting. I mean, like obviously, like a fantasy movie, you could see it as a coming of age movie with Chihiro, who I think we're, that's the next thing we'll probably go back to Chihiro's character. But um, how about how about this as a movie that's made for young girls? Um, because Miyazaki, the the thing a lot of people have heard is you know he's his uh, like coworker slash friend's 10-year-old daughter, like he's like basing this character on her and kind of like making this movie for her and her demographic. Um, and I read that Miyazaki researched like uh, shoujo mangas and stuff in Japan, <gasps> like aimed for young girls. So like, wow. and, and I was thinking about this more, the element of Haku specifically, mm. Um, mm. like manic uh, pixie dream boy dragon who turns into a dragon. <laughs> like, isn't, isn't that like totally like a, a young girl fantasy type element? Um, like, that's like, I agree, man. <laughs> Like is is Spirited Away? Yeah, Spirited Away is like I, I think if you would assign it like an intended demographic, it probably would be like young girls, which is not I think how a lot of people think of this movie. I was going to argue about the Haku thing, but actually it is it is literally down to the trope of like getting to nurse your guy back to health, yeah, and yeah. I hate yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, it's, it's, I think the thing like. Like, I could definitely see and I get the sense that, like, this movie is, like, pandered towards, like, young girls. Um, And especially because, like, at that time, like, there wasn't that much content for girls, like, in terms of animation. I mean, there was, like, some shows, but not, like, not really. Most of everything was, like you know power rangers or like and like pokemon was just becoming a thing so like i can definitely see like the need for this movie for young girls but i think just because like chihiro's character is so relatable that it can come off that it's not just for girls that or that they're not the intended audience because i mean again like i said before like we've all been at this age you know we've all lost our parents in a store or something along those lines. So we can all find that relatability in her character. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think, I think probably means, I know there's a quote like, like of that. He like, uh, he's like, I've never made a movie specifically for like 10 year old girls like that demo. So he was trying to make that with this movie. 
Um, like, I think he probably like in t- starts out like that, like, but like, but like, basically, all of his movies they, they become universal as he like, yeah, yeah. makes them. Yeah, so I think that's kind of like where he starts and where some of these elements maybe come from and where the main character comes from. Um, but there's like, as we've been talking about, there's certainly this universal universality, if if that's a correct phrasing, to to this movie that um, shines through for many different types of people. I can uh, see this movie being made for like. 30 year old parents also though mm. yeah there's, yeah. there's a lot of messages it's of so, parents we're gonna talk about it's yeah. so pokes fun of chihiro's parents about being so like sure of the world and then having that being used against them when they just assume like they won't get in trouble for eating food without anyone there and like i feel like maybe chihiro acts is kind of like a way to to bring them back to realizing like their potential to be good, less like consumerist people maybe or something and showing the like part of the ass. One of the assets Chihiro has is like, because she's younger, she, she's not as jaded by like society, like honestly. And like, that's literally what saves her. Like if she had eaten that food, she like, she would be as good as Deb. But she didn't, and that one choice led to a lot of other really good choices that she made. And, like, I just, like, I can't even imagine how the adults would have handled, like, the bathhouse. Like, they probably would have wanted to fight everything or call the police instead of just, like, kind of interacting with it and, like, working with it and learning from it in the process. So I feel like maybe Chihiro is sort of, like, a gateway to getting a lot of adults at the time to maybe reassess their values and... Like, what's important to them? And, and like, what could be a better way to self-actualize themselves? Because they're not done growing up. Like, you're 30. That's not that old. I wonder about that. Yeah, Yeah, uh, I think that's a a totally valid point. It's probably a movie that starts as being made there. But it's also a movie that starts being made for young girls that has heavily, uh, heavy social anti-materialism commentary at its core. So, you know, like, of course, it has its distinctive Miyazaki element. She here turning down the gold, case in point, right? She's like, I have no use of this gold. Mm, like, mm. wow. Or even it's- just like her parents like eating all of that food, like right. like one, like without asking, but also mm-hmm. like like to like like there was there was no need to eat all of that food. Like you have a sandwich in the car. Why don't you just eat a sandwich <laughs> worth of food? So <laughs> I think that's like also something to be said too, is that like we just people just want to like consume everything, whether that be like actual food or buy like materialistic items. So I it's it definitely speaks a lot about both of those things, I think. So yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that, and, and well, well, let's circle back to Chiro after because it'll make more sense in this progression. Um, so let's let's Miyazaki, you know, as as always, has some things to say with of this. Of course, movie. of course. Um, Michelle Munchen, curmudgeonly Miyazaki. I think this is the beginning. Uh, if if it wasn't before, this is like we're for, firmly into curmudgeonly. Old, I think old we're man firmly Miyazaki. in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is he is sixty now when this Ooh. when making this movie. Ooh. Senior uh, Miyazaki. Yeah, and that's and that's how all of us I think see him now because that's uh the, that's the image of Miyazaki we've had for uh in recent years um but i think there's um two maybe theme areas to talk about the smaller one surprisingly is his his environmentalism commentary uh which uh, we can t- mention first here as we've been tracking throughout all of these Miyazaki movies. Here's what Susan Napier has to say about 
uh, the environmentalism in the movie. She says, in Miyazaki's eyes, the distortions of money and industry darken not only the external landscape of Japan, but the interior spiritual landscape of its citizens. Never once to mince words, the director had become increasingly impassioned in his denunciations of the modern world. The whole world is the the whole world seemed covered in concrete. He declared. Uh, his film ima- his film images had even more potency. It is no accident that two of the most memorable characters in Spirited Away are river spirits, one shackled by pollution, the other by urban construction. Um, so I think it is a little more subtle than we're used to, but you know, consider the two these two river spirits, the stink spirit, um, who uh, ends up just being a river spirit that was filled with trash that she has to remove mm-hmm. all the trash in order mm-hmm. to unlock who he truly is. And then consider that a big, uh, the big climax of this movie is Haku, who ends up being a river spirit, who uh, has lost himself because he was paved over, um, which uh, was a running, running commentary on ur- ur- urbanism and stuff in uh, urban sprawl in in these Ghibli movies. Um, so uh, I think like these these environmental messages are pretty pretty prominent, although not necessarily like the main theme like we're used to in some of his other movies. Um, and I think I feel like with the the stink spirit, I mean, that's just I feel like such an iconic scene that that really resonates on um, the message, uh, just the, the the distinctive imagery of uh, him, like the, the the filled with trash and sewage. And then um, you see the the very like Japanese kind of uh, spirit that emerges from it with like, a different <laughs> so visual good. style. Um, like, yeah, that, that's definitely like one of the most iconic scenes for me, too. Um, and yeah. so I think I think that's really in service of uh, furthering the messages that he's presenting here. Um, one and, thing, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I was, uh, one thing I really like about that scene is like it's the first time that everyone in the bathhouse actually like works together to achieve a common goal. Because like for the most part, up to then, Shihiro, like everyone else is kind of just in it for themselves. Like no one's really cooperating with each other any more than like their job absolutely needs them to. Like Lynn's coworker straight up was trying to steal that newt from her. Even though she was like, no, it's mine. He's like, oh, come on. And like that one guy wouldn't give her any of the bath tokens, even though she just literally needed it for her job. He's just like, "Hmm, no, you're a human. You suck. I won't help you. But like when the need demanded it, they all like get together and they are like tugging on the rope. And everyone who's not tugging on the rope is like basically a cheerleader with the fans, like encouraging them from the sidelines. And they, like, collectively do this useful thing together, which is immediately kind of usurped by them all going nuts over the gold in the floor. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> within that contained moment, it's just, it's really nice to see that camaraderie. And I feel like that's something Miyazaki has been known to do really well. But it was, like, it was just kind of a nice moment, honestly. Like, it's as gross as the stink spirit is, like, seeing them work together in that moment does feel pretty uplifting. Yeah, uh- yeah, I love that point. We've been we've been tracking Miyazaki's theme of the collective that he mm-hmm. is uh, espousing throughout all of these movies, and yeah, I love that that they work together um, in order in this this crucial moment for the bathhouse, and maybe the bathhouse becomes a better place as it becomes more of a collective of people working together. And the other scene that sticks sticks out in my mind is everyone cheering for Chihiro at the end. Who yeah, works there at the end. well, and everyone's just so happy and excited, like because they were able to you know like again achieve like a common goal mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I think that's that's just great. <laughs> Yeah, this, this, this supportive collective we've talked yeah. about, it, and I think that is that is uh, on display here, and I think maybe uh, contrasts with some of the uh, 
the economic commentary he has, which we can talk about now. So we can talk about that a little bit, although I don't think super explicitly as, as always, but uh, definitely, you know, if you're going to say one, the, the big thing, what is this movie trying to say? It's probably like anti-materialism, anti, uh, or anti, like, uh, you know, like, so let's, let's talk about this from uh, Susan Napier um, who, uh, anti like consumption, I think is what I was trying to say. But um, so this is, this is in line right after she's talked about the environmentalist messages. She says by 2001, when the film opens, the country was mired in a culture of materialism that seemed an effort to allay a debilitating sense of spiritual emptiness through incessant consumption. Mm. Um, Miyazaki directed much of must have, much of his message at parents, or more specifically, the generation of Japanese in their 30s and 40s, whom he saw as gluttonous, consumption mad, and uncaring. There we and, go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, definitely there. In Spirited Away, he shows Chiro's father driving a, a flashy new Audi and boasting of his cash and credit cards as he obliviously gobbles vast quantities of food at the mysterious <laughs> restaurant. I have, a, I have a question. Did anyone else, like, see their dad reflected in him? Because, like, I really did. I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, I'm getting secondhand embarrassment because this is exactly what my dad would have done. I hate it. <laughs> I mean, they, they, I got cash and credit. I mean, I feel like that's a universal dad, like, the message that is. That is <laughs> not my dad. My dad would have I'm been glad, like, April. I'm so glad. He would have been like, there are sandwiches in the car. <laughs> we are We're saving not money. money. Not saving money. money. Yeah, I guess that's another way it would go. Well, yeah. like the dad being yeah. like, oh, like the walls are made of plaster. I know what this is. I'm an authority on everything. It's like, psh, you don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Yeah, let's, we're, we're going to talk more about the parents. And uh, back to the Napier quote, but the director also wanted to send a message to Chihiro's generation, or more specifically to the 10-year-old daughter of a colleague with characteristic forcefulness. In a oh. discussion of the film, Miyazaki referred to this girl and her friends as dullards. Whoa. Their, pers- Whoa. their, per- their pursuits Whoa. increasingly alarmed him. The director, had, the director had long bemoaned the fact that so few children played outside anymore. Oh my God, Miyazaki! You're much for real. No, the best. No, the next. The best part is the best one. He suggested that they should stop watching Ghibli videos on television and go outside <laughs> to experience the real world for a change. What? Uh, yeah. So where's oh, Komuchi Miyazaki? So funny. Oh it's, my god. That's a, a good line. Overall, Miyazaki hated the waves of apathy and indifference emanating from the young dullards around him. It is not surprising that the path to redemption taken by Spirited Away's ten-year-old heroine leads through hard physical labor, self-discipline, and uh, acceptance of kindness to others, and a willingness to take on challenges. Um, I think that last part's kind of the shocking one, is that he's, like, scathing towards children, uh, too, in addition to the parents. I can't believe he called children dollars. That's, like, some strong language. <laughs> like, I agree with those qualities. Like, honestly, I, I thought, like, Chihiro learning how to clean and to, like, you know, work the tub and, like, you know, more forcefully ask for things. And you see her, like, become braver. Like, those are, like, objectively really good qualities. But again, like Miyazaki, you can't just like blatantly judge all these children. They are a victim of circumstance. Like that's just literally what modern society is for kids. If given the opportunity, like Shihiro, to step up early, they a lot of them probably will. But that's like, yeah. <laughs> that's really up to other people. It's not just in their hands. Someone needs to like push them there. Yeah, and, and I, I guess think that's like, what the movie's saying too. 
also ah, okay. in addition to what he's saying. Yeah. It's I mean, I think it's a lot of things and Miyazaki is multitudes as always. Yeah. I I was really struck by that last part of that that section. So I was Don't like, you oh. just go outside. Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, so so I I sought, sought out a different different opinion. So here's uh <laughs> Oh, thank you for the diligence. Yeah, there. here's another major book we quote in the series. Here's Studio Ghibli, the films of Hayao Miyazaki and Isao Takada by Colin O'Dell and Michelle LeBlanc. They say and they, the first part is agreeing with the view of the parents. Miyazaki paints a stark contrast with the parenting in my in with the parenting in my neighbor Totoro, May's father accepts his daughter's view of the world and creatures that he cannot see. He is supportive and attentive. Mm-hmm. Chihiro, Chihiro's greedy parents virtually ignore their daughter. They are self-centered and individualistic, dry, uh, driving an unnecessarily large polluting car, and while acknowledging the existence of Shinto shrines, do little to pay their respects. Crucially, mm-hmm. by the film's close, they have not learned the error of their ways. Amnesia about their ordeal means that Chihiro's future is no different from when she started the adventure. If My Neighbor Totoro is a nostalgic look at the past, Spirited Away is a lament for it from the perspective of the present. Um, but there is hope. Although her parents' generation has let her down, Chihiro n- nevertheless has the spirit to restore these fading values. The future lies in the hands of the children. <sighs> haven't heard that one before (laughs) i yes children are powerful but is it fair to expect them to solve everything i don't know but like i get what that's saying and like yeah yeah, Yeah. jihiro she's lucky in that she has that one token of the strange world that will be with her forever that will remind her of the truth so yeah well she remembers she remembers at that right she'll always remember because of the hair tie they made and and she just you know the parents lose their memory she does not lose their memory so I think I think it's like the movie is saying both things it's kind of like criticizing yeah. you, you know I don't think Mizaki sees children as being responsible but they're a product of this world that Absolutely. he's disapproving yeah. of and I think that's probably where he's coming from but also he does see the hope there and you know there's a lot of hopefulness in this presentation of Chihiro mm-hmm. um, even even though you know you could argue so let, let's 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 start talking about Chihiro I mean we can cir- circle back with these two topics but this this next. Uh, this next quote, I think, demonstrates uh, what what uh, I was going to say with Chihiro. But it's back to Susan Napier. She says, more universally sympathetic is Chihiro, who evolves from, quote unquote, dullard to competent, <laughs> competent young heroine. Uh, Miyazaki, descri- Miyazaki describes her as an utterly ordinary young girl. And that's true. At the movie's beginning, her whiny ways and bratty behavior contrast significantly with even his most realistic heroines from earlier movies, such as Kiki or Satsuki. In the complex world of 21st century Japan, such an ordinary character who still manages to triumph against the odds might have seemed particularly appealing. Um, I, and I don't, you know, I don't personally see Chihiro as like bratty in the beginning right. of the movie, yeah. but it's definitely in sharp contrast, I think, to these other Miyazaki heroines who are always like upbeat and go-getters. And I think Kiki's yeah. probably the closest to Chihiro in terms of we see her flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but like, you know, Chihiro very, uh, yeah, I, I mean, like it's it's you. See, it, she definitely comes across as like really ordinary, which I think is is great and a great yeah. aspect of this movie. Yeah, I do think part of her attitude also probably is the juxtaposition of her parents, right? Because all the other Miyazaki parents were so understanding. Like mm. Kiki's parents, totally on the same page with her. The Totoro dad, 
totally on the same page. But her parents, like, like that analysis was saying, like, they are kind of just, like, in it for themselves. Like, I never get over that line the mom has when she hears on her shoulder, like, don't tug on me, you'll make me trip. Like, yes, that's true, but also that's just, like, not a very, like chill mom thing to say it's like oh don't grab me anymore child like and i do think like chihiro's attitude as being a little more exacerbated and reluctant probably stems from just that's part of the dynamic with her parents like if they're less likely to listen to her and give her like choices and she feels dragged along like she's dragged to this new town she's dragged to this new school and this new house like she's more resentful because she feels like she can't do anything and they don't really even listen to her so they're not even on like the same page as a family so i feel like based on that her having like a much more like outwardly like objectionable like reaction to what they're doing makes total sense right yeah, I, I think I think it makes sense, Joe, would, yeah. would be like this. Um, well, and I think the other thing, too, like, I, I definitely, I, I don't think that Chihiro is as bad as Napier described her. Yeah. But, like, the other thing you have to understand, too, is that at, in the beginning of the movie, like, Chihiro's kind of going through, like, a rough time. Like, her parents yeah. are moving. Mm-hmm. Like, well, and it's not even her parents. Like, they're moving. And so, you know, she's sort of, like, expressing her complaints with that, which would be 100% understandable for, like, any child, um, especially at her age, to, like, be worried about those things. But then her parents are just sort of very much, dis- like, dismissing her feelings. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, oh, it'll be fine. You'll make new friends. Like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, yeah. again, like, if you're an adult, like, I get kind of b- seeing kid problems as, like, you know, hashtag kid problems. Like, not a big deal. But, like... Maybe, oh my god, maybe her parents just, like, lack some of that empathy. Maybe that's just literally it. Because, like, that's one of Chihiro's big strengths. Because, like, you do see Chihiro, like, she she has this ability to kind of just, like, bring people together. Like, even, like, the baby who's, like, so terrifying. But she, she, like, takes care of him on the journey. And then he gets to meet his aunt. And then they're going to, like, have a real relationship now. Which is going to improve that whole family dynamic. Like, when No-Face is trying to, like, give her gifts. Like, she asks him, like, like where's your family? Like, don't you want to go home? Like, she's probing for personal things. And even though Lynn doesn't want No-Face to follow her, she's like, eh, he's harmless now. And she, like, gives him the last train ticket so he mm-hmm. can come on the train. So, like, she hero, like, she... She's being very kind to people that even other people around her seem to distrust. Um, Whereas, like, I feel like her parents just, like, don't really have the empathy for her because they just, like, can't put themselves in her shoes. And they're just, like, kind of being, like, jaded adults right now. Yeah, I I love that point on empathy. And I think I'm trying to tie this to kind of this where Miyazaki's coming from with his anti-materialism. And I think part of that is spiritual emptiness he sees. He sees people as not being spiritually connected. And I think for him, empathy would tie into that. Like his his parents are too obsessed with consuming and aren't like thinking of their community, thinking of other people, kind of the spiritual tie-in. Um, so yeah, I think that's like definitely a, a big message, and yeah, it is like such a sharp contrast from the spiritually connected dad in, in and into <laughs> he was <laughs> the perfect dad. Like, 
No one can beat Totoro dad. He's like the epitome of dads. It's kind of unfair. <laughs> this is he's the opposite. He's the opposite. Oh no, obviously we're talking about anti uh, anti uh, materialism and consumption. The biggest thing that I should have mentioned, the parents literally turn into pigs, like uh, yeah, consumerist literally. pigs. Yeah. yeah, literally that's what they turn into because of their consuming ways. Um, so it's not that's like very not subtle imagery. And I think the the dad's behavior in the beginning is very also not subtle. You kind of um, see that with Yubaba too, because like as much as I love Yubaba, like she's this amazing businesswoman with the most amazing character design I've ever seen in my life. Um, she she has a twin sister, right? So she has like a counterpart, and Zaniba, unlike Zubaba, like she lives in the woods in a very like modest cottage, just making things in a forest, and she seems a lot more content. Like honestly, like I feel like visiting that cottage is like one of the most like comfortable, relaxing parts of this entire movie. And I feel like that's very much on purpose. And I think maybe like a more subtle jab is being put at you, Baba, for like, even though like it's not wrong to be a businesswoman and be in charge of your own like bathhouse, like she's lost some of that softness and some of that tranquility that her sister still seems to have. And I think like, that's kind of interesting too. Like it's not even just the yeah. parents. Like I feel like even the spirit world has its own issues with being greedy about money. Yeah, I would agree with what you yeah with all yeah. That you said about that contrast with Yubaba and Zaniba. Um, Yubaba interesting because I do think she also she's also presented with like positive qualities to a certain extent. For sure, extent. yeah. yeah. Um, and we, we can get. I mean, uh, this is related to Yubaba, but like the other, the last kind of like big commentary aspect is this. We, we've mentioned this notion of Chihiro needing to take on work and the to, mm-hmm. to make it. Yeah. In the, to stay, to not be like consumed by the the world of the kami or the spirit world, she needs to um, like to continually demand work and then work hard, and that's <laughs> yeah. how she's able. And you know, running thread of how Miyazaki's viewpoint, he definitely values hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it's it's tempting from probably our perspective. I'll speak for myself at least. It's tempting from my perspective to see this movie commentate common commentating on capitalism. Uh, because literally Chihiro's name gets taken in yeah. service of, mm-hmm. uh, of, of the Her hard job. work she's doing. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Oh my God, Dylan. That's how I see it. I, I, it's, I really, uh, throughout this I series, like I've been so tempted to say like Miyazaki <laughs> is anti-capitalist, but like he's just not. Like he, I don't think that's full. I think he's is to a certain extent and he supports the supportive collective and that's a very it's, socialist it's, kind of yeah, mindset. That's but right. It's like, nuanced with him, yeah. yeah. So I'll say, like, I, I, well, I, I do like, I really do like seeing Chihiro do the hard work, but I think for me it's like, especially because I related to Chihiro more than any other kid in Ghibli, it's like, there's like a restlessness you feel when either you don't have very much to do because no one trusts you to do it because you're a kid, or you just feel so in control of your own life that you just kind of give up and just do whatever. And I feel like it's not necessarily the hard work itself that helps Chihiro be a better person. It's like her ability to kind of put her own hands to something useful herself. I think her ability to have like choice now and to be making active decisions for herself in a way that she probably didn't as just like a kid being like pushed to do like wherever, like going wherever her parents went and like having them tell her like to do the dishes or like go to bed or whatever. Like this is her just like having to make all these decisions all at once. And I feel like Haku kind of 
sums it up really easily at the beginning where he's like, all right, you got to like go down these stairs and talk to this guy and he's not going to want to give you a job. You got to ask for a job. And like, this is what you got to do. And she's like, I can't do that. And he's like, well, you gotta. <laughs> and he yeah. just leaves. And so for once, she's just, it's like a, a live or die situation. And she just finds the will to do all these things she never would have imagined she was capable of. And I think it's literally her being thrust in that situation. She realizes she has so much more of a strong, focused will than she ever would have imagined. And I think like that's like what's so exciting about it. Because like, you never like don't believe Chihiro's growth. It feels so organic and natural how it unfolds. But it really is all about her just rising to an occasion. And I feel like the hard work's part of that. But that's definitely not like the main point. Yeah, I I, I was going to say, I also think that, like, there's this element, too, of, like, you have to do this or, like, yeah, or you will not, like, survive. And so, like, and, and that's something, like, I feel very much, like, is says to like capitalism and more so capitalism, because like, if you don't have a job, like you can't pay your bills. Like, and then what are you going to do? Like, are you going to go out and starve? Are you going to like live in your car? Do you even have a car? Like, so I think there's like a lot to be said about that as well. And like, I mean, like if I, if I had the choice, like I would love to just stay at home all day and like, do whatever I want, but I don't have that choice. I have to find a job, like, in order to make ends meet. And so Chihiro has to demand work in order to be a lo- essentially stay alive or not get turned into a pig or whatever other fate could have come of her. Yeah, I was I was going to hone in on that, too. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Like, when Haku says, you just have to do all this in order to survive. It, yeah. Isn't it just what all of us have to do living in a yes. capitalist society? Yeah. yeah. So it's, I think yeah. that's, like, great commentary. Yeah. And and in terms of the hard work, I think it is uh, striking to see, like, a message of this movie that also, like, has these capital uh, anti-capitalist undertones to also, like, have this pro-hard work. Like, Chihiro finds the value of hard work. But I mm-hmm. do think it is what Michelle was saying. It's Miyazaki's not saying that Chihiro needs to do hard work to support the bathhouse, which is largely seen as kind of an evil or not, not unimportant entity. Chihiro needs to do hard work to find meaning for herself. Exactly. It has to be something she, she feels more independent and resourceful of like, I guess if she knows how to clean that floor, she can clean her own floor later and she'll know how to do it way faster now. Like that's like a solid life skill to have objectively wherever she goes and i feel like it's more about like that stuff than just like yeah <laughs> i yeah, agree we're, we're all well, the, yeah, we're the, the setting of like it being a bathhouse sort of sets like sets you up to learn that hum- like humility too because like mm-hmm. you have to clean like the floors for the guests you have to like clean out the tubs and scrub and do you know x y and z and so i think there's a lot to be said because it's not necessarily hard work it's just like basic things that you do in your life yeah. like i mean <laughs> I, think this, I think this is the core of miyazaki's anti-materialist message in that she's finding kind of spiritual identity through this hard work that she's doing yeah. 
It's um, a means and, to an end, yeah. And like, like you know, like I, I, I don't agree with Miyazaki that like hard work like this is necessary to find that sense of identity and self meaning and spiritual meaning. But at least he's advocate. Like I understand where he's coming from. He's advocating for that. He's not advocating for you need to you need to work to be a cog in in the larger economy and society. He is finding yeah. like self actualization and stuff. And like the, the, it's, it's a broad, the, the broader theme of trying to find that is I think uh very like uh palatable and acceptable for uh, wide audiences. Yeah. It's um, like, if you can take control of this one thing, even if it seems like a really basic thing that could lead you to taking control and making bigger decisions that have like a, a much stronger positive impact on your life. Cause she does, like, yeah. she literally does, like, she's not to listen to some people's advice when she wants to be more empathetic. And I feel like that's like really where like her personality shines through more than just like the doing what she's supposed to. Like she does break out of that at some crucial moments and, and go the extra mile, which kind of is subverting people's expectation of her. Which is ultimately why I think like everyone gets won over by her. Cause even when like the, the stink spirit's happening, like everyone's just kind of fascinatingly watching her like try to walk through the mud to refill the, the tub and like mm-hmm. clean this guy. And they kind of think it's impossible for her. Like Yubaba is not really hoping she'll succeed. She just kind of wants to crush her because that's a fun thing to do. But when it does work, like they, like she says, like everyone's learned from sin today. Like she, they suddenly have this newfound respect for her because, like, she kind of beat the odds and she's like sort of the underdog. So I really like those aspects of her personality too. Like, it's a mix. She's like April said, she's learning to be more humble, but she's also taking a lot of choices to part. And a lot of people are telling her very different things. And she's she's deciding what bits of those to use to her own ends. And she ends up making a lot of the best choices, in my opinion. Yeah. And yeah, so to, to close out the kind of messaging part, like, uh, and I, I think like the, the, the last thing to say about it is like, it's, it's just Miyazaki's perspective on the world. Like it's where he's coming from. He finds meaning and self-actualization through his hard work. Mm-hmm. That's like where he's coming from. So that's what get, gets seeded into his movies. And this is a discussion we've had a similar like themes discussion throughout many of his films in the past. So this is, I think, not surprising. Um, but yeah, I think, and then transitioning to what Michelle was talking about, Chihiro's arc. Yeah. Like she definitely is like finding herself in, throughout the movie she becomes like assertive she mm-hmm. she becomes empathetic she starts off with like um not being able to like uh assert herself or like uh like really be an individual i guess through like the seemingly through how her parents treat her and sure being like forced to go along with things and stuff and yeah you get the sense her life is like not fully in her control with the forced move um in the beginning of the movie and um she stri- strikingly is just taking control and finding her own path i think throughout the the second half of the of the film um, and it, it's, it's, it's really, it's a, we've, yeah, we, we've talked about, it, but it's like a really wonderfully appealing and broadly appealing arc. I think that a lot of people connect with. Yeah. Anything, anything else on Chihiro? She's cute. <laughs> She's very cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like, I like what Miyazaki talked about. He's like, I specifically don't want to make a cute girl. Like I want to make an ordinary She's, girl. She's very like Scraggly. Yeah. Like, she's like her proportions are great. Like she has the biggest head and then these little like stick arms and legs and these huge shoes. And it it just makes her feel even more like an awkward or gangly kid, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. I think it works really well. I think so. Or like when she's Lynn always has tripping. to like like Lynn has to like sift through all of the shirts yeah, to find one that's smaller. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, that's that's really good too. Yeah, the the, the what I read about Miyazaki's like I don't want to make I'm, I don't want to make an ordinary girl not a cute girl, and then he's like, oh, I'm worried she's not she's gonna be too ugly, and then it's like, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, oh that, it's like, oh, this face, turned out well. She she's cute. This turned out well. Yeah. That's her face really reminds me through. of is May the littler kid in Totoro? Yeah, the, yeah. It, it, her face really looks like May. It's this kind of weird, like wider set eyes, like kind of smush face. But like slightly older, and it didn't like she looks. Her face is completely different from Kiki or literally any other kid, like he's ever drawn. So he definitely yeah. succeeded in making her feel like different. But she's cute in her own way. I yeah. mean, yeah. she's not think- Moe cute. Which is probably what he was trying to say. Yeah, exactly. I think he doesn't yeah. want her to be Moe. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think it's I think that really stands out. She seems like really ordinary and and really real. Yeah. Um, yeah talk, how about some of these other characters? We've talked about a lot of them in passing so far. But Haku, um, you know, dra- Dragon Dragon Boy. I don't think we see too much into his perspective. Also, he's like a, a river spirit at the end, so he's a uh, un uh, you know like not, uh, heavenly in his own kind of like it makes sense. I feel like what he ends up being like he is kind of a just ethereal being. Um, what a weird what a weird like romance arc that. <laughs> <laughs> talk about that because like i was shook when i was watching the japanese version when um zaniba literally like teases her like oh i think your boyfriend's outside i was like hold the phone yeah i didn't remember that from the dub one movie where like someone in universe actually ships them because like usually it's a little more (laughs) ambiguous but like zaniba's like straight up like hit your boyfriend and i was not ready for that because like haku's definitely at least like six years older than her like also yeah, you said that. Not- I don't. I think it's unclear, and he's also not a human. Well, but, you know. I was gonna say he's not human, so like time is just a construct for oh, him. No. <laughs> oh no! no. Like, you, I, you you lost your. I lost my shoe in you because you're a river. Like it's such a weird yeah. conversation. At the end. <laughs> you. But I will oh. say that I don't like. Even as a kid, I don't remember like picking up that that like their relationship was completely romantic. Like I think mm-hmm. that it's just like one yeah. supportive friend to another so and i think really like when zaniba's like oh your boyfriend's at the door i think it's more so she's just teasing shihiro more than anything because like i remember like ugh, when i was that age like and i was the only girl in the neighborhood like anytime any of the other like neighborhood boys would come over to play for with my brothers they'd be like oh april your boyfriend's at the door and i'm like you stop that <laughs> Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it like like all Miyazaki quote unquote romances, with ex- very few exceptions. This is not uh, important that this is romantic. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's definitely not important. I mean, they're knowing tr- that they're Miyazaki, like young kids, and yeah, knowing Miyazaki like was trying to aim this more at younger girls. I guess like in some ways, Haku is a more like he kind of gives me like and hear me out when I say this, but he kind of gives me like King Jareth vibes in that like. He is significantly older, and that kind of makes him a little safer as someone to crush on, because it's not quite like he's a peer, so there's not as much chance it could really happen. And he's, like, supportive and nice, and she, like, they take turns, like, he kind of looks out for her, she, like, literally brings him back to life. (laughs) It's, like, kind of a nice arrangement. It's not all about him proving himself to her it's like it's very equal opportunity which means Aki always does really well but he also just like 
seems to respect her. And he assumes she can do all these things right off the bat. He yeah. like never he never doubts her ability, which I feel like is a very attractive quality in a friend at least. Um and I think like that like he Miyazaki nailed all those aspects for sure. Yeah, and th- think about it, I guess, from the aspect of him. I think he's part of, like, the fantasy and the, uh, there's, like, an appeal to, like, she's, like, are there are there two Hakus? Remember, like, that part? Yeah. And it's, like, he's, he's, like, the dangerous, and he's, uh, oh, he's it, you don't know what his motivations are, and he's, like, seems maybe evil. And then you only, at the end, you learn that he's kind of being controlled to a certain extent, so. Well, um, and that's kind yeah. of, like, how, like, friendships sort of are for, like, people of Shahiro's age too like you don't really know who is your friend who isn't your friend like that's what like you begin questioning all of that around that time period in your life and I like I remember having those moments where I was just like well you say you're my friend but are you really my friend anymore like maybe it started off that way but now it seems like we're enemies so I think it just like helps add to the relatableness of Shahiro yeah uh, yeah, I mean, I th- I don't think, like, this is, like, some grand romance. On, yeah. they, they do have this sweeping, like, uh, romantic-seeming scene, like, which I said is my favorite of the movie. But, again, it's not, like, about them being, like, this, like, romantic culmination or anything. It's about everything else, I think, that's going on with both of their characters and the uh, figuring out his name and that playing into the, the story and the themes of the film. Um, and so, like, I think it's, like, uh, I don't, th- I don't know if this is, a like, a huge thing anyone's, like, shipping, but it's, uh, it's, it's a really, like, I think, core and pleasant, and I think, I do think it's, like, really well presented in the movie, um, their connection. Yeah, yeah. and then Haku, Haku's, it's, like, a very mysterious, interesting character. He just turns into a dragon, that's cool. <laughs> he just um, turns into a dragon. He's being a, t- we don't really know why he turns into a dragon. He just accept it, it's cool. I you think, think he'd, you think he'd be a dragon spirit, but no, he's a river, I so. think it's, like... Cause he, so he went to work for you, but like Spider Boy knows everything. Apparently, he's the hot gossip keeper of the bathhouse. <laughs> he said that Haku went to Yubaba to learn to be to, to learn magic from her to be her apprentice. Mm-hmm. After he probably lost his identity, and that was a really bad idea because now she just kind of controls him, and he's also kind of expendable to her, which like sucks for him. Like that's not his best interest. So maybe he learned dragon magic from her. And, like, maybe, like, that form kind of reminds him of his river spirit, like, subconsciously. Like, I could see that because, like, the river spirits are... Like a flowing tube- dragon. Yeah. 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 River flowing spirits dragon. are tube-shaped. Dragons are tube-shaped. Like, it all... <laughs> I like this headcanon. Uh, that, yeah. that made me think of just a random moment. There's so many amazing moments there, but, like, Haku's backstory, it's being told. And then in the foreground, we see animation of the, the little, like, b- baby mouse turns into the mouse. And he, like, uh-huh. touches the, the sl- remains of the slug and he tries to imitate what Chihiro did with breaking uh-huh. up the curse with the suit sprites and they break the he breaks the, the curse motion and all this <laughs> around, like oh you're so brave good job and then they're all happy yeah, it's, yeah that's that's like the funniest part of the movie for me is that random little scene uh, and it's like and it's just over over top of this like seemingly Serious. important backstory yeah. for Haku yeah. yeah but it's really not important I guess is why Haku came there so it's like let's do uh, this other thing um just so many like me- like wonderful little moments like that i think in the movie uh how about yeah, yubaba and zaniba we've talked about them um i think yubaba in line with this line of um older women we've seen in miyazaki's works zaniba you know zaniba as well but it's, it's very incredibly distinctive character design with like giant 
faces um, and giant everything. Giant, giant She's heads. huge. Like when she yeah. rams into Chihiro at the beginning, you get like a scale of proportion. And her whole head's like yes. three times as big as Chihiro's whole body. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, where are we? This is crazy. But it's like so good. And she has like so many rings on her finger. And like I love that her hair's tied up in this very like business kind of like just like smart bun, you know? Like it really seems to fit her personality. But she has this really roughly dressed because like she likes being ornate so i just oh i think she's wonderful i'm like a little scared of her but you're supposed to be so it works yeah yeah i think Yubaba's in line with the in the vein of a lady aboshi oh but, totally but oh, yeah. you know like like she's like does bad things or like is like in support of bad things but has a sympathetic quality to her less much less fleshed out that's not the as important to this movie as lady aboshi is to mononoke um, but you, you end up, I think, I mean, she's, she like sees, uh, Chihiro on her way at the end and you feel, you mm-hmm. see kind of a, a few nicer aspects of her, like her being <laughs> a parent to a giant baby and her being very loving and concerned with the giant, her giant baby. Um, yeah. which time, I do not understand why, why one, she is a giant baby. The one time she hugs Chihiro is when she's like, Chihiro, you did it. We made so much money. Which is <laughs> <laughs> really yeah, yeah. funny, but super on brand. Yeah. And then Zaniba, this other side of her, the, the twin sister, very, very caring. You see her presented maybe you, as an evil force at first, and then you learn the truth. And you learn <laughs> the truth about, like, Yubaba controlling Haku, which is also, like, like really bad. And she still comes across, like, overall kind of sympathetic towards the end. Well, and especially um, because uh, Yubaba at the end says, like, I have to do this. Like, I'm only, I'm following the rules just like everybody else, kind of. Like, in terms of, like, letting Shihiro go, she's like, this is what has to be done. Like, I don't I don't get a choice. Are those yeah, the spirit she, world rules? It's very unclear. She, she honors so. her contract, her word, and yeah. uh, she had she had to accept that Shihiro demanded work because she said she took an oath when she made the, what, the bathhouse yeah, or something? Yeah, yeah. How can you do that? Interesting. Yeah, a lot, a lot of like little backstory sprinkled in that we don't really touch on too much. Um, that but I don't not... think you need to. Yeah, you don't, I mean, need I don't think to. We... Yeah, it's like... it serves the mood of the overall world and the engrossingness that there's all this like information that's there, but not like you can't like fully grasp onto it. I think. I think it's like, like it... there so that like like if you're really like curious, you're like wait, what, what happened? Like, why is it like this? You could be like, oh, yeah, that's right. They did kind of mention this. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's enough to sort of satisfy the explanation. Yeah, a lot of people get distracted by, like, plot holes and stuff. And I think, yeah, yeah there's a lot of, like, little things that satisfy that that itch that pe- a lot of people have. But I feel like there's, like, a city in the distance that the boat comes from in the, mm-hmm. in the beginning of the movie, yeah. too. And it's like... And they we like mention that that's there, and like I think a character mentions a scale, like maybe Lynn, like going dealing there to go one work day. Somewhere else, yeah, yeah. It's like oh, there's other the parts train. of the of the the, the Kami world, and and but like we just see it, and that that's like such an enchanting visual to me is the gold yeah. city in the distance, yeah. and like we never like really know too much about it. Um, yeah, Zaniba's we mentioned Zaniba's cottage. Um, and uh, I just love that she's like, and again, I might just be confusing this with the dub because it's like so much more in my brain. But Zaniba's just like, oh, okay, you're all here, come inside, whatever. And she's like, oh, and I want you to call me Granny from now yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's such a difference to you, Bob. It's so funny. But then it's funny because at the end, uh, Shihiro calls you, Baba, Granny. And- and she just 
accept it. Like, Granny. Oh, okay, whatever. It's whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I totally remember that from the dub. I don't know if the, I, I don't remember that just from this viewing of the sub though. I don't know if they said that. Yeah, but that's that, that feels right with the the mood. She then she takes no face in and like you should stay with me. It's it's really like really warm. And I just love that she. Well, first off, she's like makes her own yarn which is crazy but then i love that she's also like teaching them how to do how to knit like (laughs) practical skills yeah Yeah. a practical skill yeah maybe she's maybe all of that is like channeling miyazaki's value of hard work but not in this like giant uh mechanism of the bathhouse like in this quieter setting in a very domestic sort of way and I, i just think it's so cute that they all are just so like even her nephew as a mouse who's like doing a terrible job but like like you just know that that boy is gonna request to go visit his aunt like every weekend to learn how to sew better from now on and they're suddenly gonna have a relationship which like Dylan you were saying like you felt like you know the movie's not exactly condemning you Baba for you know having this business or doing what she's doing I think like maybe it's like the the concern of like losing sight of what's really important for the sake of capitalism maybe that's more it like she she now she's gonna have like a connection more to her sister maybe they can like you know bury the hatchet there like her son's gonna be a part of both their lives and they're gonna have a closer sense of like familial relationships like on top of still running the bathhouse maybe that's like kind of a happy medium for her ending story yeah, I like yeah. that. I think I think I there's like maybe too. you have a hopeful feeling towards Yubaba, like maybe reconnecting with Zaniba, yeah. maybe do not mm-hmm. doing things like controlling Haku anymore <laughs> right? at the end. So <laughs> similar, similar to at the yeah, how at the end of Mononoke, Lady Eboshi's like, I'm going to do better now. So like, uh, I'll build a better town. So I think it's kind of a similar hopeful ending for these complicated characters that you get. Although again, Yubaba is presented a little bit more villainously as as I think this is you know, maybe more of a fairy tale, and she's more the the wicked witch of the fairy tale, if if that or something. That's uh, but. It, but it, you know, as with Miyazaki, it's a little bit more complicated that with like that with all of his villain characters. Um, Kamaji, yeah, we the the boiler maker. We've talked about him and uh, very late. The, the moments when he's warm to Chihiro, I think, are pretty incredible. He's, just, he's definitely like grandpa. Yeah, he's like... grandpa. It, I think Alex, because Alex was watching with me, he said like, "Oh, he has the same face as like Dola's husband, kind of." And I was like, "Oh my yeah, god, yeah. yes, he's very." like down to the beard and the glasses i just love his turnaround from being like human like go away like oh you're still here to like when link comes and freaks out he's like she's my granddaughter like yeah (laughs) like it's such a quick turnaround it's it's so good he's a good spider man there's a lot of it, despite this world being so dark. There's a lot of hopefulness in how yeah. Chihiro is treated by people like Kamaji <laughs> and Lin, and a lot like just she gets a lot of like really nice people in in the bathhouse interacting with her. Even the radish spirit, like kind of like yeah. radish spirit, is up. really nice. And he like does yeah. the lever for her, and like yeah. yeah, like I love that there's like this um like underground kindness to everybody that's there mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like like even like. To, to the very end, Lynn's like, oh, you're gonna stick her with me? Like, how could <laughs> right? you? And then, like, she pulls her aside, and she's like, all right, we pulled it off! Like, <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah, love how Lynn's next character gets just gets more warm towards Jiro, too, yeah. as time goes on. She's that cool big sister we all yearn for in our actual lives. 
Yes. Yeah, I think I think similar-ish role to not not exactly the same to the the older girl Kiki uh, directs with Ursula. Her. Yeah, Kiki, she yeah. she definitely has that kind of older mentorship energy about mm-hmm. her. I feel like Lynn. You want you out out of all these characters, I feel like I want to know more about Lynn, maybe more than anyone. I want to know how Lynn got there. So yeah, because she definitely seems like a human, but I mean, we don't really know. Don't really know. No, the, the 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 men in the bathhouse are toads, so they yeah. are clearly spirits. But a lot of the women look human-like, so it's a little hard to well, tell. Right. I think. It's interesting because a lot of the women like look human-like, but they're not quite. But yeah. Lynn's the most human. Yeah, like, yeah, looking. exactly. That, that's how I interpret it. She's the same as the others. She just is the most human-looking of mm-hmm. them. But that's just a guess. Yeah. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Who knows? It's, yeah. When's the Lynn spinoff movie? Yeah. yeah. Does she ever leave the bathhouse? I need to know. <laughs> I'm like shocked how expensive these train tickets are. Like she literally I... can't afford a train ticket with her job. And that like spider boys held on to his ticket for 40 years and mm. it's still good. Like it doesn't expire. Like that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's like playing into how they're trapped really there. In yeah. The, they're trapped. The in their jobs. And... They can't afford to leave. Maybe that's yeah. why they're so like again. Maybe that's why everyone's just so like in it for themselves. And like when they see gold on the floor, they just go insane because like they're yeah. so poor and they really want money. Yeah. Um. Spe- speaking of Kamaji, how about the suit sprites, Michelle? I know you're a big fan. Oh my god. Um, well, when we were talking about like charming moments that puncture more serious moments, I feel like two really good ones with the suit sprites is like. You see them like throwing the colon and that's like kind of spooky. You see big spider guy and that's kind of spooky. But then he's like, all right, it's like snack break. And when he throws the rainbow candy, they're just dancing around. The rainbow like, stars. Yeah, they're yeah. so happy. They're so happy. Your, your whole attitude changes. It's like, oh my God, they're just cute and love candy. Just like us. Like, it's fine. Like, we get it now. Like, that's a really charming moment. And when she has to you know, go on her journey and, like, she understands the cost. Like, she has to, like, save Haku's life, basically, and beg for the curse to be lifted. Um, the Sipbals, like, very quietly, like, bring her shoes out to her. They've been watching over her shoes this whole time. And that's another just really cute moment. Yeah, I just, and, and... I love the moment whenever, like, the one falls under the weight of the thing. Oh, so she does it, and then they all drop <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was going to mention, yeah. <laughs> They're like squashed, but still bringing the rocks yeah. back around her. It's so good. Yeah, I think that's one of the funnier moments of the movie too. They all, they all like, oh, help me too. Yeah, yeah um, the birds are just very, very funny uh, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, the lot, a lot of, and we met, I mentioned the little scene with the the mouse and uh, it's the the shoes. Yeah, it's really, really uh, warm and funny and endearing creatures um, in this. It's interesting. Interesting choice to bring him back from Totoro. I um, mean, kind I of like uh, change, kind of, kind of change how they function too in this world. Yeah, they're like workers now. Like their but whole purpose. Like, they're, what is it? They're like spell. Like there's a spell on them to make to work. Get them to work like that. Oh, well, that's right. Like they yeah, were independent, but there's a spell on them. No, that's no. He's. I think. I think Kamaji said like they're just normal suit that he brought to life to help yeah. them. So, so, so like their choices to work for him or go back to being suit. Yeah, because um, that's what he threatens them with. He's like. You better get back to work, or I'm gonna yeah. make you suit again. Yeah, maybe he maybe he's lying. It could he could just be bluffing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. 
Yeah, it's a. I don't know if they're the same as the suits, braids, and Totoro, or if they. Uh, yeah, it they depends. I guess if Kamaji's backstory is, but are they, you know, it's like these are the same as them. But these ones are in the Kami world, so they're uh, they function differently. Is that what happens? I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can only speculate. Um, no, we've talked a lot about no face already towards the beginning. No um, face. No yes. face. No face. Yeah, I'll read a quote from Susan Napier on no face. She had a whole section on no face. Um, in the three decades as an animator, uh, Miyazaki had created an exceptional pantheon of supernatural creatures. But no face is perhaps the both the simplest and most complicated of Miyazaki's wow. inventions. Mm-hmm. His archetypal black garb and white white mask like face make him an easy target for projection of our own fears and desires. Mm. It, bear, it bears repeating that no face sprang. Oh, I didn't mention this yet, but no face sprang almost simultane, uh, spontaneously from a part of Miyazaki's brain that had gone into overdrive as time ticked down on the movie's production process. <laughs> In relation, yeah, um, I can talk. I'll, I'll br- briefly talk about that after this. In relation to the vomiting scene, the director specifically seeks of the need to just spit everything out, um, an emanation from uh, the dark side of, of the unconscious. This raging id of aggression and other antisocial behaviors apparently mm. struck a chord among viewers, especially in Japan, a nation that places an enormous priority on com- conformity, discipline, and self control. No faces antisocial actions seem strangely liberating. Um, but yeah, like his, his simplicity and, uh, we talked about this, but it just, he, he's exhibits so, so much and, and, uh, like the, I think the notion that he changes in the environment and, mm-hmm. and Chihiro mm-hmm. recognizes this and frees him from that. I think that's like a really relatable aspect and a really powerful, like move that she makes, maybe even one of the most significant, um, in the movie. And, uh, it, it's still, even though he's doing all these bad things is, is someone who she's still like, uh, empathetic to afterwards that, and yeah that just made me think of um because when when she's talking to lynn and lynn's like don't let him follow she says like he'll be fine like the bathhouse makes him crazy mm. so you're kind of going off of what you were saying dylan like maybe it's very like his his experience is very much circumstantial to where like what place in the energy of the place he inhabits like in the cottage he's just very comfortable and easygoing, but in a place like the bathhouse, it brings out all his worst qualities, and he literally becomes a monster. I think that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I was yeah. gonna say it. It almost speaks to you know, like you're a product of your environment, kind of yeah. thing. Like if you're in a chaotic environment, then you're gonna act accordingly, and if you're in a calm, like in soothing environment, then you're going to be a little bit more chilled out and relaxed. So I think that's. Like, that says a lot to his character, especially because, like, he is so versatile. I mean, just mm-hmm. because he's so simple. So. Yeah, um, I agree. And he's, he's like, latching on to Chihiro because um, mm-hmm. the, she's the one who lets him in. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, she has kindness to him. Yeah. So. yeah. And yeah. she noticed him. I think he, no one had really noticed him yeah, in the before. Beginning. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating, well, even from that, the first shot on the bridge, I think, with him. I was going to say, mm-hmm. I don't think it's that no one's noticed him, but I think it's just that everyone's purposefully ignored him. And for that, Ooh, probably, me, yeah, because, like, as soon as they find out he's a no-face, they're like, oh, like, like they like their attitude changes, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I, there seems to be some bias against that. And there seem to be other no-faces, yeah. too. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe this like under that's uh, what it's what it's making me think of is like in a caste system, like the people that are ignored, um, like yeah. this like under undercurrent of society. Well, and I mean, um, like, I guess like 
you kind of get it too, based off his behavior at like after he gets inside of the bathhouse and everything. So like maybe they've had the same like a similar experience with like no faces or something along those lines. Yeah, it's it's clear he can be a dangerous creature as he eats, you know, several of them. But you know that as Jiro's nice to him, he's very very kind and it becomes very nice. So um, I think that that's like really. Uh, interesting direction let me uh since it's we're gonna we're going very long but since uh (laughs) best movie (laughs) yeah it deserves it It, it's it's really interesting so i'll read this this summary of the changes in story direction that spirited away go through and my my broad take is like you spirited away one of the greatest movies ever you might expect it to be this holistic artistic vision realized but no this movie much like everything goes through production changes a production process time crunch that influenced the movie um, so Susan Napier says, uh, the, the, the movie somehow weaves all these factors together to create a seamless f- film, filmic experience, but it almost didn't. Midway oh. through the movie, members of the senior Ghibli staff realized that they could not possibly finish it according to plan, as Mizaki became ever more mired in exploring details ranging from Yubaba's backstory to the <gasps> economic structures supporting the bathhouse. The film grew more complicated, unwieldy, and long. Mm. Not wanting to extend filmmaking for another year, the group realized they needed to throw out the entire framework. What next? We suddenly changed the story, or we we suddenly changed the story, or rather, we narrowed it down. There was that strange figure, no face, that stood on the bridge, and we decided to bring him into the story more. And and very hastily, in in two or three days, the whole project was rethought, and only after that we began to see how it could come together. What had been a fairly conventional fantasy adventure now became something very different. Miyazaki's original proposal had Chihiro making an alliance with Haku and overthrowing Yobaba. The two overthrowing Yobaba. The two, at another point, he considered having no face grow to giant size and destroy the bathhouse. No, neither neither scenario it. occurred. The film's focus remains strongly on Chihiro's moral and emotional evolution and relationship to the evolving monstrous, monstrous personality of no face. The film's real excitement lies in Chihiro's growing mature maturity confronting no faces incre- increasingly bizarre actions rather than in an obvious and violent climax um yeah so to her her napier's takeaway was rather than go this like giant fantasy route mizaki ends up doubling down on chihiro's uh, arc basically um which i think potentially is what makes this like huge strength of the film as as you guys cited as one of the biggest things that stand out to you and you know that comes out of his reevaluating of this kind of like larger fantasy film and scope that he had uh, originally in mind um so yeah i just i think it's, wow. it's really interesting um, that was that was a lot i had no idea yeah i mean i do think like i will say hearing those other alternatives i even hearing them it doesn't sound as strong and i think part of the reason is like there's there's no like because I feel like in a movie like Mononoke, there's a very clear like evil. It's like humans doing dumb things and ruining the world. And it's very like unhappy. And there's no there's like the hope of people fixing some things. But because it's field Japan, you know, that's like not really going to work long term. Whereas here, there's nothing so clear cut as like, yeah, like, don't be greedy and be more empathetic, but also like we don't hate the bathhouse. Like, it's not as easy as that. Like, there are good things about even the bathhouse. And there's probably even good things about Chihiro's parents. And I feel like making it more character-focused and less, like, like, saying something really specific about, like, capitalism is very helpful because then 
it, it kind of speaks to the minutia of actual life and how we navigate it. Cause there are no just clear goods and bads. Like objectively you could say certain things are bad, but it, it is never that simple. And I feel like focusing on Chihiro kind of shows you just like, this is like a lot of good qualities that it could actually improve your life and positively affect other people. Even if like circumstantially things might like be bad for them in other ways. And that's just kind of, realistic and speaks to like a truth that I feel like we all <laughs> understand about the real world, you know, if that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah. It, look, yeah. It, it, I think it could have from that quote, it could have been more of a Mononoke type movie. He says yeah. he, had in, he, he had in mind like exploring the economic uh, structure of the bathhouse, but really the bathhouse ends up not being super important. It seems, no. I mean, like it's important as it's the structure as it's like the, the, the setting and stuff, but he goes in a different direction with it. Yeah. We don't um, need yeah. the minutia to like anything. All we need is to kind of see how Chihiro is evolving. That's like the one thing we need clarity on and everything else. You can kind of notice things as they occur, but they're not like the point in so much as yeah. Chihiro is just the point. One of my takeaways from this story, I mentioned in the beginning, but Spirit Away, like one of the most revered movies, people have this like... Uh, this fascination with this pure artistic process, this pure vision that you see in the beginning <laughs> and you execute. Like Miyazaki, never, uh, throughout all of his process, he does not follow this thing where he has an entire story in mind. He executes on oh, it exactly. Yeah. He found this much more interesting story faced with adversity through production. And through all of his movies, he's storyboarding. Like he's storyboarding like the last scenes of the movie as they're animating like much of the movie. Wow. Like he's finishing. Yeah. He's, he has a very un- non-traditional process where he's finding these different parts of the movie as production goes along i was gonna say so, like, i can't remember the what is it the documentary where they like talk about it and they talk about they talk with his co-workers and they're like oh yeah like we're halfway through making this but we still don't know what the ending is yes <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh boy yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's about his uh, wind rises. I think largely there, yeah. probably the documentary they're talking about. Yeah, and it's it's and as you said, they're like really always really worried that they're like, are we going to finish this? Like, where's yeah. this? Where the last storyboard? It's like okay, and then Spirited Away turns out. So like, there can be uh, there can be uh, like greatness and like incredible works from this uh, adverse from adversity in the process. I would say, um, not okay, not to the point or anything. How about next next thing to are you guys good let's uh, keep going to try to, to finish up okay so the the uh, uh one scene we haven't talked about that's so incredible the the train scene with the the faceless spirits um i i think this relates to what we were just talking about with the different type of movie so i want to read the napier's quote on the train scene too which uh, I, I i find this very funny but miyazaki was intensely proud of the 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 sequence the train sequence in a long interview about spirited away with the critic yoichi shibuya he returns frequently to his decision to create the train ride it was immense <laughs> it was immensely important to him and he had planned oh. it for a long time oh. telling his increasingly worried staff eventually she's going to catch the train uh he He's, he calls it the climax of the movie, saying all the chasing around it was leading up to this. Why did Miyazaki place such importance on this quiet climax? Revealingly, he says, I didn't want to destroy the bathhouse. I was worried about how yeah. tough it would be on the poor, sad gods who went to the bathhouse. Yeah. After- <laughs> oh, my God. Miyazaki cares about the gods going to the bathhouse. <laughs> after, after the stresses of Princess Mononoke, the director seemed to be ready for something calmer, both in his life and in his art. 
Chihiro's decision to take the train indicates her final step towards independence. Mm. Izaki explains, I wanted to write a story where the girl catches the train with her own will in a world that she experiences for the first time. We know that she is very afraid and unsure of what to do. Um, yeah, I love that this is like Miyazaki's favorite scene is this train scene. <laughs> so good. He keeps telling them she's going to catch the train. Don't worry, she's going to catch the train. <laughs> It'll be worry, fine. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, it is an incredible sequence. I'm not sure yeah. I see it as the climax of the movie, but it's, like, really fascinating that that is, like, what his high that's, point of the film well, is. Well, and that's what he considers the climax yeah. of the movie is. Well, I mean, I guess I can kind of see that because it's a matter of her, like, finding that independence and in in order to do so or in order to show your acceptance of that, she has to choose to leave an environment that at first she was very unfamiliar with and didn't know, like, and wasn't comfortable in to become, it became more familiar to her. And then, you know, she's like, I have to do this. I have to leave. And so accepting that, like, I guess that would be like a climax in and of itself, though. I, I do like that. I like it as like a calm climax versus mm-hmm. like a chaotic one. And I think that just plays very well into the story and what it's trying to tell. Yeah. yeah. And I liked it as a contrast to Mononoke. Leo Mononoke, more of the societal commentary, this like very action heavy. This is a more calmer movie, more introspective, focused on Chihiro, not as much commenting on these societal structures, humans role in the world. Um, although it is, you know, doing that uh, to a certain extent. And the train, I think, is representative of that, the calmness of the train. It is a really striking scene, and the music is incredible, which I guess we'll get to in a second after we do we have more <laughs> characters and stuff. How about wait, Bo? Wait, wait. Bo? Are we seeing yeah. the train thing? Okay, what's uh, your, what are your thoughts on the train? Listening to April, I, I want to echo, like, I, I agree with all that. And I also think, um, it, in a way, it kind of mirrors, like, Chihiro's situation in her actual life. Because, like, that's all about her having this upheaval from her old town and school that she knew and was comfortable and going to a new place that she was very uncertain of. But this, unlike that, she's the one making the decision to actually go off trail here into something new and unknown and uncertain. But, like, she she's making the decision and she she's like i we'll see how this goes but i like i feel sure enough to do this and to take this step on my own instead of being thrust into it like seemingly without control from her parents and i feel like that's like a really nice way to mirror like her actual life too yeah it's very much her choice and yeah like and i think it that gets more driven in because everyone's just like are you sure you want to do this? Because there's a chance you can't go back. Like, Mm -hmm. so, which I mean, is to be said about any change changes that take place in life is like what the outcome is going to be. Like, is it going to return to what your, what you consider a state of normalcy or is it going to become the new normal? Like no one knows. And so it's, it's just very brave of her to accept that independence within herself. So, yeah. It's like the bravery of taking risks is a very real part of life. And she like showcases it super well by taking the train. Yeah. Well, and uh, and she's not even like necessarily, I guess, like, I mean, she is doing it for herself. But at the same time, she's not. She's like, I have to return the seal. Like, yeah, this is, this is the task you. that, yeah, like I have to help my friend. And in order to do that, mm. like I have to buckle up and just go. Yeah. Train. <laughs> go yeah. catch that train. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love the this character talk based on Chihira taking the train as this really like, really important. But it is it? I think it's true. I think it's this really important step in her arc. 
Um, and yeah, like a motivation is like, you know, Haku has show, show, shown her so much kindness and her needing to return that kindness. And I think, yeah, it's, uh, no, I, I do, I do really love the train and it just becomes this like eerie quiet and the movie turning in that direction. I, I love that we, that it ends up going there instead of like, I think his, his giant societal commentaries, his bigger move, his bigger climaxes, I think that they're wonderful as well and i just love this as being distinctive for what it is where well, where spirited away goes and i think it's just a unique climax in and of itself because you know like we've already said like most climaxes are very action-packed or very drama filled whereas this one like she literally gets on a train and she sits on it and it's quiet and peaceful so like just it that in and of itself is just so like astounding like it's very and it's brave of miyazaki to to like do that as well like you know there is it it's not very eventful but it is at the same time yeah in in my in my mind i think the chihiro and haku flying through the sky is probably still the climax for me but i like that uh that's the emotional climax yeah the thematic climax the thematic thematic climax Mm, versus the emotional climax yeah maybe the story climax could be different too maybe yeah i think there you could you could see uh you, you could see it as different things that's interesting um yeah and i'll come back to the train a second we haven't even talked about the score yet so i'm gonna spend a little bit on that too but... <laughs> go off yeah okay no but quick any Bo thought Bo the baby thoughts we've talked about him oh, but uh, my main yeah. takeaway is like i don't understand why he's such a giant talking baby um i don't get it but <laughs> it's, well, it's very striking it's unclear like does yababa know that he can talk before oh. the end of the movie because <laughs> like, so I actually don't think she does know. Yeah, because that yeah, that he... seemed very unclear. Because she's just like, look at you standing up all by yourself, and I'm like, what? Oh my god, this is. Oh my god, this is. I can feel Miyazaki coming through this now. Because like the baby, like Chihiro, like you know, he's babied and coddled more than he probably needs to the point where. Yubaba's telling him like, you can never uh, leave the baby yeah. room or you'll get it, sick and it, die. Yeah. And, like, when he gets back to her, and, again, I can't get, like, the dub out of my head, so sorry if I don't remember the real dialogue, but he says, like, like, me and, like, Sin had a really nice time, and, like, I want to go back to Aunt's place, and it's just, like, he, he loved being outside, and it actually helped him be less of a piece of crap honestly like (laughs) it humbled him in a way too like being able to explore things on his own and not being so coddled made him like a nicer person than he was all cooped up in that room where he was just selfishly initially trying to keep Chihiro with him to play with because he doesn't ever go see anyone so like I love that that's like even kind of mirrored too yeah it's it's interesting yeah I I forgot that he uh (laughs) He, he's probably not talking on purpose to Yubaba. Um, yeah. What a what an interesting inclusion! Just a, yeah. this rich world filled with random stuff like the baby. Um, and is is that just what for for Yubaba's spirit species? What babies look like? Is that just what's going on? Her baby might be special. Like I don't, it reminds me of Ponyo, where it's like. How did they produce Ponyo? I don't really yeah. know, but I guess we'll never know. We'll we're, never yeah, gonna accept it. How we have this giant baby, but we do. Maybe yeah. that's part of like the Yababa story that we didn't get. Oh yeah, that's true. He had a, he had yeah. a whole Yababa backstory. Yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Um, I think the only other mythology thing we mentioned is these paper birds that uh, attack Kaku, and he's in his dragon form. Um, of which one of which goes through, and uh, Zaniba like communicates through it. 
Um, I think that's like a really kind of like striking and scary kind of mythology uh, element as well to the to the movie. Paper seems to have like a lot of significance within this world as well, because obviously like the little paper, they're not even like birds. They're like, I don't know, crosses almost. Yeah. Origami birds. Yeah, kind of. of. And so there's like that. But then even like, what is it? Like the paper used whenever Shahiro like signs her name away um, seemed like, I don't know, like, both of those like two scenes also very much stand out for me like the signing away on the paper but then like also being attacked by paper like <laughs> that's a good point yeah yeah i agree that's a, such a striking visual of uh yubaba taking the kanji from her name except for mm-hmm. the one and reassigning her sen which we, you know, we've been referring to as chihiro she's sen throughout most of the movie yeah. Um, and yeah, paper. It's interesting the role paper plays in the movie. If you thought this was a lot of analysis in Susan Napier cha- Napier's <laughs> chapter, there's a whole section <laughs> on, on no, not on paper, oh. on how food is such an important part oh. of Spirit Away and different characters' relationships with food. And you could like we could talk for another hour about all that. But yeah, oh, it's, it's, uh, I'd recommend it. It's you know Chihiro represents will... uh, anorexia and because she's refusing what? to eat food, she's refuses to eat food for large what? parts of the movie. And then there's the there's the comfortable. She only eats. I mean, it's not like a literal just one to one with the disorder. It's more just like the relationship with food. Then there's the bulimic no face. Okay, so there there's all that in the chat. Honestly, Dylan, that feels like a very like late '90s, early 2000 kind of commentary. <laughs> like for real, I remember all those Lifetime like sh- like movies. Yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's got. Class. Yeah, I, I think it's more in relation to the consuming kind of uh, thing that we already talked about. Is yeah. from Mizaki's perspective, but yeah, like the food being a uh, material and your gluttonous and stuff like that. I mean, the parents there, are eating all this food in the beginning. There yeah. is a lot of food in this movie, it's, but uh, I yeah. will say. Yeah. The those like rice balls that she gets from Haku, like man, and she's like crying while eating them. Those rice balls are so good. <laughs> they look good. Yeah, I want to talk about that scene. Yeah. bun that um, Lynn There's gives her. Too. I wanted yeah. those so bad as a kid because it just looks so giant and puffy and delicious. Yeah, both of those very common Japanese food. Yeah, and the prominent roles in the, in the movie. Yeah, the rice ball scenes. Okay, how about the score? Joey Saishi's score right. for my money. This is Joey Saishi's best score yes. and just one of the best movie scores probably the best movie score i've ever heard you're um, right is, you're right yeah it is it's the best one because i feel like every like all the other times it's like you got like stuff from howl that's so iconic stuff from mononoke nausicaa that's iconic but it's like sometimes it's iconic but also a little distracting because it's like oh man this is like really good music but that's like kind of breaking your immersion in a way yeah. whereas this just like i feel like april said really early on in this that like the music just like it it works off of the visual splendor so well to just enhance the visual. So like the music, like you you know it's there, but it's not as standout as much as the visuals. Like it's found this perfect way to kind of like dig under what's going on screen and kind of push it up to make it feel even more bombastic and thrilling and exciting without taking away from the impact of what's visually already there. And that's like, I imagine very hard to find that balance, but like this whole movie's like got it in spades somehow. It's a, it's a lightning in a bottle kind of like, I don't know how this like happened so well, but it did. 
Yeah, I mean, I think all of Joey Saichi's soundtracks are so incredible. He's so revered in 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 his entire uh cat like a catalog of of scores. I think the the visuals in this movie are so distinctive and impactful that it's like almost impossible to undermine them. Right, like, maybe that's the, it. The game like, is just a, so strong that it just enhances it instead of feeling like the music's overpowered. It's kind of, it's kind of the perfect music movie. Like it's yeah. it's this experiential mm-hmm. fantasy movie immersion. And the music is such an integral component to that. I would say um, it's almost like kind of like the opposite of what Michelle said, but in a sense that like the music like hmm. picks like digs down underneath you and picks you up and puts you into like the visuals that much more. Yeah. I like that too. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I think they could be seen as similar in different uh, ways of saying it. Um, I want to talk about some of my favorite tracks from the movie. Um, I think you have to, there's two two ones I think you have to start with. One Summer Day is the the beginning in the intro song as she uh, crosses into the, the spirit world, to the world of the kami. I can hear and the piano is... in my head already. Yeah. It's so one of the most iconic melodies, I think, um, yeah. from movies. Uh, you know, this is this is one you can find tons of clips probably of Hisaishi playing this and and <laughs> orchestras and stuff. There's a version with lyrics that he made to this. It's interesting. Oh, weird. Um, but this is just this, this is I think this is like the theme of the movie, and it repeats throughout a few of the the songs in the score. Um, I would describe the primary word as like I mean it's it's it it serves a few purposes the one that's on the sa- the soundtrack uh, one summer day but melancholy melancholic Ooh. is the main emotion I get and I yeah. feel like that's one of the main things I feel from the movie and that's to me what that theme evokes in me is just melancholy um, like it is sad and it's it's not, yeah. it's not this upbeat happy theme but it's it feels very like significant despite being like sad but not depressing it's 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 really interesting maybe it's like melancholic um at the start of the movie and then like wistful at the end because yeah, like, i mean i think, yeah. I think wistful is a similar similar emotion but yeah it, re- it replays at the end yeah. um in the return uh and yeah yeah you get it you know you'll get a different sense so yeah maybe wistful is a good way of describing the end of it as well um, but yeah, no, it repeat. It's uh, largely repeats in the return. Um, there's themes from it in uh, Day of the River, which I think is the next uh, iteration of that theme. Day of the River is what plays during this uh, the rice ball scene that uh, April is talking about. This is uh, one of my favorite scenes we haven't talked about. But uh, Haku goes to basically comfort um, Chihiro uh, Chira after the uh, she sees her parents as pigs for the like mm-hmm. revisits them again mm-hmm. for the first time, and it, that's like. Probably the best scene for there, if you're, like, shipping them, is probably the best scene for that. He's so, like, <laughs> kind and uh, he's, he's really, really wonderful and supportive. And they're, uh, like, you see the full range of emotions. By the way, I wanted to mention during the Chira discussion, what I remember, when I think of Chira, what I visualize is her curling up into a ball yeah. and, like, holding her knees. Yeah. Yeah. She, she does it at least, she I think, three times it. throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she does it in this scene. And... Uh, it's, I love like when she curls up, it's unrelated to the score. She like curls up into a ball, but then she like springs into action. Like she's still feeling and being overwhelmed to a certain extent, but is like taking control like towards the end. And I, I really love that. Um, but yeah, that, that feels really real and, and the, what she's experiencing, the emotions she's experiencing. Yeah. Day of the River is, um, I think it's, yeah, I see this as like their theme to hear on Haku. Um, it has parts from One Summer Day. Um, I really love this one. And then I feel like, to me, the iconic movie song of all time for me is Reprise, uh, which plays when during like, I my, my favorite scene is when they're flying through the air. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Um, confu- I was tr- confused because it's re- called Reprise. I believe it's not a reprise of anything. Um, and, <laughs> but but it's very it's very similar. The progression from one summer day to day of the river to the to Reprise. I was like analyzing that, trying to this weekend. And yeah, it's it's interesting. It's not the same known Reprise, but just this uh, s- sweeping. Uh, music that plays different iterations of the same melody that play to different intensities as they're flying through there. It starts off when she's still at Zaniba's uh, cottage. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's like the uh, movie, movie scores. It's I'm like, it's not something I always listen to all the time. Reprise is one I've always remembered. Um, this, this song. Um, the other, other ones I wanted to mention quickly are the, the Dragon Boy is Haku's theme. Uh, it's a really how, epic how one. Go? Do you remember? Yeah. No, I don't I'm know if I could struggling. repeat it off the top of my head, but I would. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'd look that the ones I'd recommend looking up on on the the soundtrack. Um, Procession of the Spirits. Yeah, uh, yes. I always because that's just such a standout moment when the boat docks and it's just so like you feel like something so magical is going to happen. It's just so intoxicating that energy it brings. Yeah, starting at about like thirty seconds or so into that song, that's what I—that's the music I associate with the bathhouse. Yes, like the yes, and like of like so much happening at once. Yeah. Uh, six. The sixth station is the music that plays over the train scene, as discussed. Uh, I, I view this. I see this music as very melancholic as well. Um, but it's like really, I don't know, haunting. Uh, it's just re- re- really uh, incredible listening to that one too. Um, and then uh, yeah, the, we mentioned the return. Uh, that that plays at the end of the movie. Always, always with me uh, by Yumi Kimura is the credit song. Um, so I, I've always really loved that as well. That plays over the, the scenes of the like chapel like uh, room that they pass through in order to get mm-hmm. to the the mus- the amusement park. Yeah, isn't it true? Um, Miyazaki what- like listened to that on repeat during the production of Spirited Away. Apparently, this was written for a previous work that didn't end up being made for his. Oh, and really? He took, I didn't know that. And, and then, yeah, and then he, yeah, listened to it and took inspiration from the lyrics. Right? Yeah, yeah. I knew it like impacted it, but I had no context. I thought maybe it was like a popular song released the year before or something. But I didn't know it was like already supposed to be for something. No, yeah, it. this it was an original song for a Miyazaki production. Yeah. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah, I think all the all the ones that play at the end for for the Miyazaki movies, I think, are always made for his movies. Um, I, I believe. So uh, fancy, not like us Americans who just slam a pop song on the end of our movies. Well, uh, and then you get Ponyo when we'll get the Jonas Brothers. Song uh, at the end. Uh, <laughs> not talk about that though, because it's too upsetting. When we get to Ponyo, we're definitely oh talking God. about it. Uh, were there other parts of the score you guys wanted to highlight? I mean, I, like if I'm a hundred percent honest. Like, I love the the score of this movie, but I couldn't, like, tell you the names of them. I just, like, does that make sense? Because I'm so, like... Yeah, that's how I feel about most scores. So yeah. I Masterpiece to the point where every I mean, song I'll, I'll, is good. I'll, yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, there's so many icons. There's iconic ones I haven't mentioned. And then also, like, I'm talking about the English names for these, so it's a little hard to, like, you know, there's some for maybe different names for some of these songs. And also, like, with movie scores, there's, like, repeating themes. So it's, yeah. like, which one do you do you, do you select to highlight? It's, it's it, I, I find it, like, a little bit difficult to talk about them because they're supposed to be such an experiential thing when you're watching the movie and, like, isolating it. Yeah. It's, it's so tied to the scene and it's so yeah. tied in the context of all the other songs. Isolating it is a little difficult. I, I find that many of these songs do hold 
hold up isolated, but they're definitely like at their like most intense emotionally when you're watching the movie with with the song. There. Yeah, like I can definitely like see myself like listening to the soundtrack um, and listening to the score like without watching the movie. Um, and but probably like what would happen? I mean, obviously, like I would just be like replaying the movie in my head while listening to the music, or at least evoking those emotions and feelings. But like while watching the movie, like. I it again like the music isn't or the it's not like something that's in an individual thing because it is so connected to everything else that's going on around you mm, to yeah, the other yeah. like to the visuals to the other like sounds and noises and everything else so it's hard for like when you're like oh yeah dragon boy and i'm like i don't know what song that is yeah (laughs) Yeah. i i'm yeah i'm mostly saying it for reference to like check these ones out later but i you know i agree that and this soundtrack too is so tied i think emotionally to the to the the movie um but this is you know such such a good one from from masaishi here and i think one you'll frequently see people cite and play and orchestras and stuff um la- last major thing i wanted to say was the uh this film uh, comes after mononoke which was the first time that ghibli or miyazaki used uh 3d or cg graphics or cg uh, animation in his movie there is there are certainly parts of this movie that are also computer generated uh mostly this movie is hand-drawn um like normal uh, i think to me what stands out from computer generated is like them walking through the flower bushes right um, that's the yeah. part i ever pick up on because it, it just feels kind of strange <laughs> the way the bushes yeah. are coming at you yeah i was like yeah i i mononoke i i noticed it a lot more in mononoke um i think this movie is like like maybe a reason these two movies are so in- absolutely incredible is Mizaki has access to this new technology of animation mm-hmm. and like he applies it yeah. to a certain extent. Maybe that's one of the many reasons, but he has it as it's just, he has modern animation techniques at his disposal now. And he still mostly does traditionally animate this movie, but it is applied a few times. And I do think it's really well integrated for the most part. The, the the cg into into this movie I was a little say, bit even more so than mononoke i was gonna say i think the cg looks better in this movie but i think it's also like layered within the like Art what is hand drawn yeah, yeah like it's like layered within and so it's like it's more it feels more natural versus mononoke because i remember like watching mononoke i was just like oh i can tell like it's very like in your face whereas this it's much more subtle and i think it's much more effective that way yeah it's like it's more integrated because like honestly dylan like if you could even point out any more but by the bushes scene because like the bushes one is the only one i ever remember feeling it's the only one you really remember yeah all the other ones like look really well blended Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. There's one other one I know off the top of my head. I can't even remember, but it's like a, a aerial shot from the. Maybe it's at the end with them identifying the when she's identifying the pigs, like something right before that. Um, but no, there's probably others. But yeah, it's it's he's you know Mononeke. He's like literally the first time he's using it, and now he's a little bit better at integrating. It. And it's it's really incredible yeah. in uh, Mononoke as well. Like all all of these are to great effect. But I think this movie only benefits from having uh, the additional technology available to him. Okay, Michelle, other topics that are coming to your mind for Spirited Away? Uh, small thing, but I remember saying before that I felt like Chihiro's um, evolution was pretty organic feeling. Like, it never feels kind of, like, drawn out or unrealistic. And I feel like a really nice example is just, like, 
how she treats the stairs the very first time. Like, it takes her so long to get down those stairs. And then for, and she just, like, keeps looking down, which is the worst thing to do. There's, like, no handrail. She's, like, taking it step by step. And then when, the, when she finally, like, tries to, like, just walk like normal, the step breaks. And she's, like, suddenly running and freaking out. Very, very scary stair experience. She goes from that... To when Haku is like being chased by the paper things, she like runs across that pipe like it's nothing. And I feel like that's just such a clear example of how far she's come in the little amount of time she's been in this new place. But it's like such a perfect visual example of like how she's growing and changing before us without like having to explicitly point it out or say anything, you know? Yeah, no, I, I com- completely echo the uh, iconicness of her, like, running down the stairs to get to the boiler <laughs> that room. Um, makes me so nervous. It's so scary. Yeah. Like, so I would scary. not, They would, he would have been like, you just have to go down the stairs. And I would have right? looked down the stairs and I would have been like, well, if I guess oh, I'm, no. this is where I end, guys. Like, <laughs> There's no yeah, handrail. I mean, yeah, it's it's like a, it's a quiet it's a quiet scene, but like there's it's just one of the many scenes this movie that's just really memorable. Yeah. I, I, I like when that scene happened in this this watch through for me. I'm like, oh man, I'm paying attention fully. Yeah. This is yeah. like uh, so this is the scene, and it's just her going downstairs. That's fine. Well, uh, it's crazy because like you like she literally just has to go down the stairs, and you're like, oh my gosh, is she gonna make it down the stairs? Like, what's <laughs> exactly. gonna happen? Like, it's like such a simple task. But yet, like, you're very involved in it, like, emotionally, too. And then, like, you're like, ooh, she made it down the stairs. Yes, okay, let's open the door. Like, <laughs> Yeah, next step, just open the door. I just love when she gets down, like, only three steps. And then she, like, looks up, like, yeah, I'm doing so well. And there's just so many steps left. And it's yes. like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be literally all day. Yeah, well, it's a great scene. Michelle, other, anything else? Uh... Uh... This is too hard. Like, there's so many moments. I just really love Chihiro. I mean, as much as we said we don't like the last line that didn't exist in the actual movie before the American dub, but when they say, like, oh, going to a new school, that is scary. And she's like, I think I can handle it. I appreciate it only because... It's the first time the parents are practicing empathy by by really being like, oh, yeah, you know, like, actually being scared of this new school is a valid concern. Like, it's them extending an olive branch, and I I appreciate it for that, even if it wasn't supposed to be there, you know? Right, isn't it funny that the most most sympathetic line from the parents is not real? Like, that's not what in the original. (laughs) Rip. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I don't know, yeah. It's, I, yeah. I, I want to watch the dub again for see any other like small changes. I think we noticed a few of them, but um, st- still like a really a great and iconic. Unfortunately, the thing one thing I remember the dub for is the DVD. I, the, and then it starts with an introduction from John Lasseter. Wait, really? Um, oh, yeah. You're about to see. Uh, you're in for a real treat. Yeah. That's like the first oh, line he says. John Lasseter. Like, we don't need you to tell yeah. us that. Yeah, like we don't. That, that's not aged well. John Lasseter's involvement in this, but he he like oversaw the production of the dub. Um, that's like a, a story. Yeah. A story, but um, April. Uh, anything else from Spirited Away? Oh gosh. Um, I feel like we hit everything. Like, do you think we hit every every no. single thing? I mean, movie no, runtime. but like, we. 
I don't know. Like, I could just say, I could go on and on about this movie forever. Because I, I think, like, it truly is one of, like, the best animated films. And, like, I, it makes me, like, happy because, I, you know, it was able to reach such a, like, wide audience. And have sort of that global impact. First, you know, like, like if mm. I could have picked any, like, be, I guess, like, the only other movie that I really know of, like, Ghibli movie, that kind of has that same impact would be Mononoke. But I think that came afterwards. And, um... Yeah, but it found like, its following. Yeah, later, yeah. Know, it, like, later overseas. found its following. Um, but even still, like, this is like much more like I think it's it's made better I think the story like not that it Mononoke isn't a great movie like don't get me wrong it's a great film but I think this one is just like it hits it hits a little bit deeper it's it's so I don't know like everyone can enjoy this movie it's it's just great like I love this movie so <laughs> We love it. Yeah, that's why we talk for over two hours about it. We love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will say, I will say having I've always thought this is like the best Miyazaki movie, but having gone through his his uh previous work so yeah. far in the series and analyzing that him in such depth, I think if you want to say basically literally any of his other previous movies is the best Miyazaki movie, I think there's a defense for any of them. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. like even I don't think Poco? Oh yeah, it's not Miyazaki. That's not Miyazaki. Not his, That's yeah. not Miyazaki. You know, <laughs> I, I, I love the ta- the weird Takahata movies that are around this time too. I it's love just very Sabata's. different. Yeah, but also so good in that crazy soundtrack where it's just that person going like, "Hey, hey, yeah." Like I will okay, never I get over that. It's so good. It's not related, but no. A broader point is like, yeah, Spirited Away is incredible, and it might be the best, and might be the best of all time. Also, yeah. like his other works preceding this are so absolutely incredible. Yeah. We'll see later in the series if we think the same of the Ghibli movies after spirited away which i coming into this series look at in a different light than the reverence i've applied to some of these other ones like it's it's interesting to watch this movie like as an adult and compare like comparing like my feelings from like when i first watched it to now um and feeling a lot of like the same emotions and things but then also like being able to again like appreciate and recognize more of the themes and like the subtleness and all of that stuff. So I think there's a lot like, like I have a deeper appreciation for this movie now. Yeah, for sure. Definitely talking and talking about everything like this, but it's also like I, you, you feel like the most important part I feel like is the experience and the emotions of watching it. And you totally tap into that yeah. as a kid too. Well, so tapping, like... tapping into it as a kid, like is obviously one thing, but being able to tap back into it as an adult is like a totally it's different powerful experience. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really powerful too. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, I asked if you had anything else, but any closing thoughts? Those are sometimes different. If I have like eight hours to sleep on it, I'm sure I come up with something new. But I just, again, like this is, in my opinion, this is a perfect movie. Like this is that once in a lifetime chance where like all the things you're trying to do line up and work so perfectly well. You make something truly better than the sum of its parts and i love knowing that it was such a chaotic production experience because yeah yeah, i feel like maybe especially with animation like you have like a certain amount of time you're allowed to like write a story and then you just are supposed to commit to it but like you could only be in your third draft it might take like your 24th draft to really flesh out 
what's at the core of what you're trying to say and what makes the most sense. So I'm kind of really impressed that they were willing to just give it another go for something more cohesive um, and maybe to more of the core of what the actual point of the story was supposed to be. And it's all the better for it. I I wish more people would be willing to rewrite things, (laughs) even (laughs) if they feel kind of locked in. Um, it's just a truly impressive movie and I feel like it, it truly is that beautiful like like I feel like Disney like tries to like because like they never brand their movies as kids movies they always brand them as family movies they're supposed to be movies that are enjoyable for all ages but I feel like this really is a movie that could presumably mean something important to you at any point in your life I don't even know if that's intentional for them but like it, it absolutely is and I feel like that's like the best kind of movie that has unlimited rewatch value for you as a viewer you know yeah yeah i think so unlimited rewatch value and yeah i i like i i would echo perfect movie and everything it's it's the rare almost impossible thing where everything came together right on yeah, this like the, and, you know, the, the chaos the, the chaos and i'm you know maybe in in service of the chaos if it's in service if, if if like if it's in service of a better movie um and uh it's uh you know it is it uh, you you start with it, it has the key element of starting from in my opinion the greatest entertainment artist of all time yeah. um so you start there and then you still <laughs> everything needs to come together mm-hmm. to create uh to create this movie um and we're so very blessed that it did and also that he had so many other movies that came together in such an incredible way um in addition to spirit of the way okay i think that's going to do it for our spirited way discussion, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very happy. I'm like, I, I said this in the end of Mononoke. I'm, I was always so daunted to talk about Spirited Away and Mononoke. Um, and uh, you, this is one way to do it: is to try to get, analyze every single thing. And <laughs> yeah. I think we did it. We did. I'm, re- I'm, ha- I'm happy that we uh, got in depth into all these things, and I think did it a lot of service. Um, so, thank you, Michelle April. Um, thank you guys thank you for listening if you listen to this whole thing thank you guys we're proud of you um, yeah you put you did so you wrote so many like analysis things like good lord that's a work in of itself me or the audience oh me okay (laughs) Um, yeah no Shout out again to Susan Napier. Yeah, no, she makes the preparing for these like very uh, much easier than it should be because she already has condensed all this stuff into Miyazaki World. Um, and uh, if you uh, want to contact us, contact us in any way or check out the other things we talk about on the podcast, uh, let's look for overlyanimated.com. Uh, find everything there. Uh, if you consider supporting us, uh, the Patreon is what supports this podcast at patreon.com slash overlyanimated. Thanks to our current patrons, especially our patron of the podcast, Danny. And thanks, as always, to our patron executive producers, Ryan, Steve, Alex, Beatrice, Hugh, Michael, Needle, and Phonician. Um, yep, we're shifting gears next in the Ghibli Rewatch series to these post-Spirited Away films. First up is Cat Returns. Oh, my God. Uh, what a shift. Mich- I'm excited. Michelle, Michelle loves it. I oh my God, doubt yes. we'll go two hours on Cat Returns. Probably not. We'll see. That's okay. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We That's okay, We tried though. hard enough. We really That's tried. Okay. Just no. only talk no, about Tim st- Curry. Yeah. We still have Howls, like, right after that. So that'll be a very interesting oh, one yeah. to talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you know, and then there's uh, Wind Rises. Is, 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 so you know, only uh, Po and Ponyo, of course. So we still have three music. <laughs> I can't uh, imagine people's his... state of mind post Howl, pre- like, and then Ponyo comes out, and they're just like, "What?" Yeah. 
What is that? Oh, okay. We'll talk about it in Ponyo. That was the, I was, that was like right after I got into Ghibli movies. Oh, I was really? like, oh my God, I'm going to see uh, my first Miyazaki oh, movie in theaters. Oh, and it's Lord. Ponyo. And it's like, you know, this wasn't as good as the other ones. Oh, boy. That's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's okay. It's still okay. pretty okay. <laughs> it's, still, it's still good on its own. We'll talk about it later. I'm sure we'll find an appreciation of Ponyo and of Howl's and Wind Rises. I think a lot of people think very highly of in Ailey. So, okay. Well, we're excited to get into all these last Miyazaki movies, all these last Ghibli movies. Um, I think we cited everything I needed to at the end of this, so we will see you guys for the next ones. Bye. 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 Bye.